Hello, everyone, and welcome to Luthi Manga Recap here on May the 13th of 2020. We are back for regular manga episode. Hooray! Mm-hmm. If you have any questions, go fuck yourself. We're not answering them this We're week. We're done. We answered a no weeks. one this week. Um, Sure. Yeah, let's <laughs> go with that. Yep. Fuck the whoever we're rebelling against. I don't know. Mm, craft services. Craft services. Fuck mm-hmm. the craft services who yep. are probably out of work right now. No, I meant like craft service. Like, um, oh, the actual physical. Yeah, yeah. Like, crafts, craft food services. Yeah. Gotcha. Fuck them. Macaroni's not even that good anyway. I'm, I'm lying. That's fantastic. Macaroni's amazing. <laughs> Their macaroni's fucking mind blowing. Who am I kidding? It's one of the first things that I would regularly make for myself. <laughs> All right. Chris, it is time to talk about manga. We have so much of it to talk about this mm-hmm. week because we have a number of regular series plus a few extra ones that don't happen every week. And we've got jump starts. And we've got the series that we took as a recommendation what seems like an eternity ago now because it's we've had like delays from jump manga not running and stuff like that. Uh, but we're talking about it now, just in time for it to be a month past having ended, which yeah. <laughs> was totally right on, intentional. Right on, t- right on time. Now, Nick, I want to just state ahead of time. Ahead of time. I've been spending the past 16 hours preparing for this okay. by playing nothing but Minesweeper. So that way, I will not be stepping on any mines today there, Nick. Now let's talk about those queers. <laughs> I thought see I wasn't see I thought you were going to make a joke about how the flags in Minesweeper are red or something like that. You took it in a direction. I was like not expecting it like no, it's Chris. I should have known that he would make an off-color joke and not a wrong-color joke. Oh god, that was awful. I feel No, that was it. that was better than my joke. You nailed it there. <laughs> Should have you do all the jokes. The series we're talking about this week is called Blue Flag, uh, originally in Japanese, Al No Flag, written by Kaito, the amazing author of that series we loved so much that Ran and Shonen Jump cross manage, but it ended before it could really get going. Uh, this series has been going in Shonen Jump Plus since February of 2017. It ended literally last month, like a week before we announced we were going to take it as a recommended series. Uh, it is a high school romance story uh, set in the main cast senior year. Main character is named Taichi Ichinose. He's approached by a quiet, shy girl, Futaba Kuze, whom he kind of resents for some reason or another at the start of the series. Never really explained why, I don't think. Uh, but she asks him how she can uh, get the attention of Taichi's best friend and childhood friend, Toma Mita, who is a really popular guy. He's an athlete. He's uh, he's the baseball club ace, very popular among a bunch of people. Uh, and she's got a crush on him, and she wants to uh, become the kind of girl that he would be interested in. And she ends up convincing Taichi to help her out. Uh, over time, they, the, the three of them end up kind of become a group of friends along with uh, Kuze's best friend, Masumi Itachi, uh, and they're friends that hang out and stuff while Taichi is trying to kind of tutor Kuze in the way of becoming a girl that Tomo would like. Of course, those two end up starting to grow feelings for each other. It's a pretty typical sort of premise for a high school romance series, except 
that it turns out the Toma, the male that Tai Chi supposedly trying to teach Kuze to uh, fall in love with her, um, he is in love with Tai Chi. Uh, and Masumi is in love with Kuze. So it's a love quadrangle that uh, crosses the lines of uh, sexuality. So, or sexual preference, I guess I should say. Uh, and you might think from reading a good good chunks of this series uh, and from the cutesy art style that you know, it's a high school romance with a lot of cute cute moments in it. There are a lot of moments where, you know, they're this, the characters kind of get drawn in chibi style. There are a bunch of different jokes and stuff. Oh, it's a lighthearted uh, romantic comedy series. Uh, no, this series gets real. <laughs> uh, it goes into it's basically more a series about how high school is bullshit uh, than anything else. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's a it's a series about how high school uh, is a tumultuous, uh, significant time of your life until the moment it's over, at which point it really doesn't matter. It was really a blip on the radar. We put a, <laughs> we put a lot of stock into it that we a lot probably should. You know, there's all that pressure from people like this is the best time of your life and all that. And it turns out, hey, the. High school doesn't do a whole lot to determine what kind of person you will be five years after the fact. So what were you really so worried about? Yeah, like um, everything after high school, it's just been getting progressively better and better, pretty much. Well, let me put it this way. I wouldn't want to go back to high school. Right now. <laughs> Actually, right now, right now, I'd be like, oh, yeah, cool. Whole, whole building to myself. Awesome. <laughs> Um, so I have a hard time actually determining how I feel about this series. What I do know for certain though, is I, this is one of those theories that I think people should read. Uh, and it has little to do with how I feel about if I liked it or not, basically, because I really appreciate what the series does in terms of addressing a lot of points and a lot of the struggles of, you know, growing up, uh, being this age and confronting rather bluntly the fact that uh, teenagers are assholes. Uh, Their way of looking at the world is incredibly bullshit and stupid. Uh, And it's very confusing. And it also extends it extends that point to, you know, being gay uh, and the troubles that go along with that. You know, the fact that a lot of people who are this that age and have discovered that about themselves really don't know how to deal with it, don't know what they should do uh, and don't think that they can trust anyone with that. And then takes the point of, yes, you can. Um there are people in the world who are willing to help you, who are willing to listen to you and hear your problems and stuff, and you're not alone in the world. And I think that that's a very important message that a lot of people need to hear. And I think that a lot of people could really benefit from reading this series in terms of gaining insight into themselves and to others. Uh, but it gets kind of heavy, man. <laughs> like it's- yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot that this series is grappling with. Um, a lot of the story is focused on the idea of kind of unrequited love uh, from several different angles. 
and then norms that have been placed by society that people fall into and issues with self-confidence. There, there was a period of time where I was like, is this kind of like just a slightly tamer version of Akunohana? Like where it's just these care, like these like young kids dealing with a lot of very troubling emotions that are not reacting to it in the best ways. Um, it's not nearly as uh, depraved as that sort of series is, but these are characters that are definitely going through things. It's it's mixed up quite a bit with just being kind of a, a silly series at points. Like you do legitimately, if you're into this sort of series, because you're like, I want to see these characters be funny and be happy. Well, I don't know so much about the be happy part, but you will get to see them be very funny and tell a lot of jokes and have very silly reactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kaito is honestly so good at humor, at pacing out a chapter, and the art style in this series is one of the most expressive you'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, characters, body language is impeccable. Uh, he's able to tell a lot just through facial emotions, particularly when it's a, a called upon moment. Uh, and then when it's not, it's kind of got like a sojo flair to it, except all of the length and yeah. the legs went to the neck. Everyone has really long necks in this series, it feels like. Um, but in that way, all those things are are exceptional. Um, but obviously, there's there's an element to the series. It, it, it's somewhat controversial to a certain extent because of the ending and because it, it delves into some heavier topics, as Nick mentioned. Um, it... It's something that is somewhat hard to explain without mm-hmm. really talking about just all the spoilers and, yes. and everything like that. Uh, but I, I will say this. Uh, there are some chapters that are absolutely phenomenal. The way some characters will talk to each other are truly, truly fantastic. Uh, there's an intimacy that they'll they'll delve into, and a lot of times it's handled with grace um they generally avoid ever having one character be the mouthpiece of the author uh pretty much every character you'll find out to some extent is not a perfect person and it's mm-hmm. made either is going to make mistakes or has already made mistakes yeah. in their life and or in the same regard not every character is just the worst yeah. you know there, there are some characters that really seem like they're just set up as antagonists and then later on it turns out no they're complicated too yeah uh there are definitely some characters that are more likable than others but everyone's got a reason for being the way that they are that exactly. is pretty understandable um but if, if you were to with no knowledge of what the series is about and you're looking for like a recommendation before we kind of get into any sort of spoilers or any kind uh, I mean, it's a romantic comedy slash drama for the most part. Um, but I honestly, I don't know if I can recommend it to everybody um, because a lot. I think the best way to describe it is your ability to accept an ending that does not explain things for you is going to determine whether or not you're going to like this. And I think we're going to probably end up spending a fair amount talking about that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, there's. <laughs> There's not a ton to actually say about it. I mean, proportionally yeah, speaking, like yeah. it's one chapter, but we'll probably end up spending a few minutes talking about it. And yeah, yeah. I, I, but what I just mean is that 
if you're some, if you absolutely, you're like, if an ending doesn't explain everything to me and just things kind of feel like they come out of nowhere, you're going to really hate the ending and it'll probably taint everything else. You might still be worth it to read the series to begin with, but I will like be upfront. You will hate the ending most likely. <laughs> so, uh, before we get into spoilers, uh, a few more things I can say that are spoiler free. I, I really loved the way that the characters look in this series to kind of uh, go off of what you said. Uh, I think that Kuze is as adorable as she should be. She's always drawn as very small and big eyed. Um, the uh, author uh, described her as a as like a hamster. And yeah, you really get that, that impression from her because she's so soft and round looking uh, around in her uh, her face. Uh, whenever the characters are drawn in chibi style, it's like her eyes get even bigger. Uh, tai Chi always has kind of like slanty eyes. And my favorite is uh, Toma, who just has a goofy looking smiley face, which is silly, but at the same time is so perfect for him because he always has this very easygoing nature to him. The- so whenever he has that, it's like that's, you know, it looks perfect for him because you just, you know, like, <laughs> the greatest moment is probably when Futaba and Toma get in a compliment argument with one another. Yeah. And she's like, you're just so big. And everything you look at, you sit in and around looks smaller and cute by comparison. And it's just a collage of different images of him sitting in things with this big, stupid grin and tiny little eyes and like a little paper. It's like, oh, I'm so snug in this desk. <laughs> So the funny parts of the series are very funny. The key parts of the series are very cute. That said, the way that the series will make you feel is going to, I think, vary between people. Uh, I agree with what you have said in criticism of the series or in terms of recommending the series. You know, it's going to depend on how you feel about certain very certain parts of it towards the end. Um, I will say if you're looking for a series that is a feel good romance, this isn't really it. I don't mean it's a feel bad, you know, it's a tragic romance story or anything like that. Uh, I mean, that's not what the series is actually about. And you can tell because a romantic couple gets together halfway through. Therefore it's not a romance story because that's how manga work. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's weird. The, the one of the closest comparisons I can kind of think of was Bitter Virgin, which we read way, yeah. way long ago. Yes. But I'm like, it's similar to that vein, right down to basically how the last chapter kind of goes in regards mm-hmm. to the main couple. So you're Spoilers. like, yeah. But hey, deal with it. Um, if you remember that review we did from the 2002 or whatever we did it. <laughs> or you remember the series in general. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're the we're the harbinger we're the harbinger of all manga, Nick. They come all, through us, right? All manga roads flow through the Rome that is Weekly Manga Recap. <laughs> weekly manga Rome Cap. That's yes. what we've secretly been called this whole time. Or so, um, so is that? But again, to reiterate, I said I think that people should just read this in general because it's like. I think especially like young people should read this because it's going to make people think about things and from a perspective that lets them know, oh, yeah, a lot of people have this exact same trouble at this exact same age. So, yeah, Uh, yeah, I guess we'll go more into spoiler discussion now. Yeah. Uh, 
What spoilers do you want to discuss first, Chris? Uh, well, let's save the ending. Because to be completely save frank... Save the ending for the ending, sure. Yeah, the end does not actually encompass most of what this series is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it's it's kind of important to talk about the characters in this. Because that is sure. what you're going to be following. There are four main cast members. And then kind of a fifth one. There's like a secondary cast beyond them. Jeez, with some being more prominent. Yeah, in the second season, so to speak, Mama gets uh, Yagihara becomes a main character, basically. So she gets uh, she gets elevated from guest to main cast. <laughs> yeah. So our our main protagonist is Taichi. He is yes. the one that the story mostly follows. Taichi uh, finds out over the course of several chapters he's in love with Futaba, who he is trying to get paired with Toma, who's his best friend. Yes. So Toma likes uh, Futaba likes Toma. Toma is uh, in love with Taichi and is not admitting that to himself. And then there is a fourth character, Masumi, who is Futaba's friend, who has a boyfriend at the start of the series. And then that kind of gets ended. And then we find I don't even know out. if he has a name, honestly. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then we find out that she has feelings for Futaba, and it's another, like, kind of unrequited love situation going on. So as you mentioned, it's kind of like a love quadrangle, except nobody loves Masumi, basically, unfortunately. She's the one person. Yeah, that's and and that's among that group. That's the way it remains the entire <laughs> way through, unfortunately. Yeah. So. Um. And then eventually, yeah, a fifth character. So Yagihara is basically like an antagonistic character at the beginning of the series. She's crushing on Toma. So and she's kind of a, an alpha bitch, basically. Uh, but about halfway or two thirds through the series, all of a sudden she starts trying to act friendly with Taichi. And people are like, why is she acting friendly with Taichi? Is this some sort of plot to like, you know, break up him and Futaba? Is this part of her plots to try and get together with Toma? Uh, and she's like, hang out with Taichi. She's hanging out with Taichi's nerd friends that she's never had anything to do with before. She's getting into this nerd game that they play. And they're like, what Excuse is Excuse me, Nick. The game is called Monster Hunter. How it's dare just, you? It's just Monster Hunter. I it, forgot that. I, it, 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 there's, they show an image of her playing the game at one point, and it has like a, 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 like a victory screen that's very reminiscent of monster hunter so well, she's... see chris i don't know what monster hunter's victory screen plays like because i don't play it because i'm not a dork like you know, i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah you cut right to the core right there i felt that one you're right i have never played monster hunter though um so people are like well what is her angle what's she trying to do and then it turns out she doesn't actually have an angle she is legitimately just trying to make friends and she becomes a much bigger part of the plot from that point forward because she has had her own troubles in high school namely the fact that girls and guys get treated differently in high school guys are allowed to have girl friends and girls are not allowed to have guy friends without people thinking oh she's trying to be a slut to get close to them or something like that or oh she's trying to date him and all that and she's like no i just want to have friends and she has repeatedly run into trouble with most of her male friends because some of them are like, oh, I want to date you. And she's like, I don't feel the same way, but I like you as a friend. So can we still hang out there? But I'll always love you as a, I'll always have feelings for you. Ah, it's, and yeah, it's like, yeah, difficult. Um, 
And she brings up many points, which she is right about. She just like she she is completely correct about the weird way that girls are treated in comparison to guys and how girls are just always kind of expected to be, you know, be bitchy at each other because they're supposedly competing and stuff like that. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. And she I, is she, dealing with a guy who just will not take no for an answer because he's kind of a dickhead. So it's weird. She, she's kind of like, uh, so game of Thrones kind of became famous for having these characters like Sansa Stark and Jamie Lannister who you just hate. And then, like a dial's turned almost in mm-hmm. an instant and suddenly you're like they're my favorite they must be protected at all costs and that's that's mammy in this one where you you said like she, you think she's just a stereotypical alpha bitch and honestly if she had stayed the way she was if we had tried to bring her up i'd have been like i don't know one girl who was there is that her character name uh because she does come up and it, it's very specifically a halfway point in the series is where um, Tai Chi and Futaba start. They actually get together and start dating as boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of things all happen around the same time. There's that. That's the big important thing. Uh, tai Chi tries to save a cat from getting run over and Toma has to save him from getting run over. And so he gets in a car accident and breaks his leg. And so a lot of stuff revolves around that, too. So. Mm-hmm. So all these these elements like it all creates like a part two, and the very start of it is Mammy coming in and spending all this time, and you're like, oh man, are they really What's just she like, up to? What's she up to? Because everyone in the series is doing that, yeah, and all and you, the reader, are doing that too. Because <laughs> it is you're like you you have known this character; she has been around enough that you're able to recognize that she's a part of the cast, but. You haven't had anything to see about her except being like, wow, she's really annoying and clingy. And uh, this this pining after Toma is not going to end well for you, I could imagine. Um, and then you see her there. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, are we just kind of trying to stretch the series out? So we have to add like a new obstacle to Futaba and, and uh, Tai Chi's relationship. And then you're like, oh, no. Oh, no, this is a very essential part of what this story is trying to get across and expectations are turned. Uh, it's very amusing if, like, you see people, like, when you see people talk about the series, they talk about Mommy, and it's almost like you could watch them as they slowly reach the <laughs> chapter where Mommy's just like, you're fucking so stupid! You're all wrong! Why does everyone think like this? And you're like, oh, I'm the asshole. Yeah, basically. <laughs> oh, I guess she was... Uh... And there's it's kind of a it's a funny thing because there's like one particular chapter where if you just kind of read it closely, you can kind of just tell what the twist is before the twist actually happens. Uh, It's the part where you uh, talked about where she's playing Monster Hunter and she's just in her bed by herself playing the game. And she's like, oh, cool. You know, so the idea was, oh, she's pretending to be interested in this game so that she can get in with Taichi's group of friends and she can get close to him so that she can make, you know, Kuze miserable. But then it turned, but then if that were the case, why would she be playing the game in her room by herself, enjoying herself, you know? So yeah, I mean, and, and then event basically, uh, Futaba is too nice to actually confront her about how her being close to Tai Chi makes her uncomfortable. So Masumi being, you know, badass best friend basically 
decides, fine, I'll, I'll help you do it. And they, you know, drag her like to the roof to confront her over it. And she keeps on refusing to take Yagihara's explanation for what's going on until she has that big emotional outburst. And they're like, oh, yeah, OK, sorry. And then they become friends. It's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Although not so much Misumi. Misumi's very slow to make friends, which is because of the kind of person that she is, where she's very restrained and kind of closes herself off and keeps others at a distance because she doesn't want to be hurt because she doesn't believe that people will accept her for who she really is, uh, which is not true. Uh, that's that is the other big part of the series is if you think that no one's going to care about you, if you show them who you really are, that's not true. There are definitely people in the world who will uh, not accept you for who you are. And that is unfortunate, but that doesn't mean that nobody will accept you for who you are. And that is the big lesson that Masumi has to learn in the series. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the series is where to give a little bit of uh, explanation. So Toma's parents uh, passed away when he was young. Uh, and so he lives with his uh, adult older brother and his brother's wife. And so they're kind of his like surrogate parents. Uh and there's a whole thing that has to do with like they've got a kid on the way. And so Toma feels like he's got to he shouldn't be going away to college like he should instead be getting a job so that he can help uh, raise the kid. So there's a fly. There's like little bugs in here. Sorry. Um, and so there's all that going on. So Musumi one day randomly runs into uh, Toma's sister in law and she ends up kind of becoming the person that kind of drags out some of the secrets that Masumi has been keeping to herself. And she, because she, you know, is an adult who has met some people who give her more insight into what Musumi is going through, basically figures out all the conflicts that Masumi is dealing with just from talking to her and making some suppositions and stuff. And she, just lays everything out to Masumi and says, like, listen, it can be really difficult to show people who you are, uh, but it can also really hurt you to, you know, just keep all that bottled up inside of yourself. And if this is hurting you, then you can't keep doing this. And Masumi's like, well, but how, what's going to happen if people know this about me? And Toma's sister-in-law says, the only thing that you can do is make the decision that you think is the best one. It is not your responsibility to decide how people react to that. And it's like, oh, wow, that's a very, like, deep thing to say from this character who had always just kind of been this very easygoing figure up to that point. And, but that's a really important thing is just like, you know, you can't control how people are going to react to something and that's not your responsibility. Mm. So you just have to do with the way you think is the best and that's it. And then Chris, <laughs> so, so Toma's sister-in-law gives, uh, Masumi this like list of song recommendations. And she's like, you know, listen to some of this and maybe it'll help you feel better. Just, you know, and you know, come talk to me basically if you ever want to. So that list of songs. Are there any, includes... is, is there any Phil Collins on it? No. Actually, yes, there is. 
Are you sure? Trip Phil Collins has covered True Colors. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. I never Phil Collins. <laughs> All right, fine. So <laughs> I'm like, so, Phil Collins covered Shake It Off. <laughs> it's the climb. <laughs> so that's that list of songs includes Born This Way by Lady Gaga, True Colors by Cyndi Lauper, Change and Shake It Off by Taylor Swift, and The Climb by Miley Cyrus. So when I saw this list weeks ago, I decided to save this image to remind myself of it because I was like, that's kind of weird. So I looked between those and I was like, I know Born This Way is like a gay anthem, like explicitly and deliberately. Yeah. Then I was like, I think True Colors is. And I looked it up and sure enough, it is. It's been it's been uh, interpreted that way. And also like Cindy Lauper was when she was recording the song, thinking of like a gay friend of hers who had died tragically. So I was like, okay, what do these other three have to do with that then? And so I thought about it, like, I don't think they do. And then just earlier today, I sent out a tweet asking, do any of these have anything to do with like LGBTQ plus like pride issues, people, anything? And the response I got was basically no. Apparently they might show up on some playlists uh, that are just like explicitly labeled like LGBTQ but it's just because they're popular, positive pop songs. And that's basically it. So the conclusion I have drawn is Toma's sister-in-law was trying to be helpful, but she also has shit taste in music because she's got two Taylor Swift songs and a Miley Cyrus song on there. (laughs) The climb. (laughs) Come on. The climb. Look, so Taylor Swift has a very large, uh, uh, I'm not, I, I get the letters wrong every time. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, audience. Uh, and it, it makes sense that a couple Taylor Swift songs would be on there. I don't shake it off as kind of an interesting one, but I get it. You know, I could kind of see it if you squint. Don't let pe- other people get to you. Yeah, who cares what they think, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Miley Cyrus, The Climb, I can't understand at all. I'm like, one, <laughs> That's te- the one. terrible song. Just an awful song. But two, I... <laughs> really (laughs) (laughs) that's not even like post-sexual awakening miley i could maybe understand that one is like a liberation disney channel pop pop princess cyrus exactly where you're just like "Hmm." put this in a disney channel movie miley cyrus (laughs) (laughs) that's the same one that has a hip-hop hoedown in it i believe so if that's had any lgbtq sensibility in it it would not have shown up in that movie because it's a disney channel movie yeah uh yeah that, that is an odd one on there uh, akiko by the way i think is the name of the sister-in-law and uh she's a very excellent character uh yeah. that is one of the other better... character expectations too mm-hmm. so she is one of the better characters uh she has a great heart-to-heart with masumi there um i think unfortunately that is kind of where Masumi's character feels like she ends and Basically. not to jump ahead and talk about the ending I, I don't want to quite get into it yet but there is a lot of frustration over Masumi's part in the ending and mm. I, I really think it's less about Masumi's part in the ending and the fact that she feels forgotten by the end of the series it felt early on like the series was establishing a, a cast of four characters 
and it she stops being relevant it feels like by the last 10 chapters or so um specifically i i maybe i'm just blanking out and forgetting it but there's like three or four huge chapters about taichi eventually having to confront the feelings that toma has for him and i really cannot think if there's any kind of real confrontation that futaba has with misumi's feeling it it doesn't really happen and I think that's the more disappointing. I mean, there's even a moment towards the end where Toma, Futaba, and Taichi are on a beach and they're they're wistfully thinking about how this past year has gone. And they even say, like, straight out, the three of us there in that classroom. And you're like, oh, I guess Masumi wasn't actually as important to this series as I thought she was. Well, and when you put it that way, it also makes me think like that because her whole thing was like, oh, people will accept you, Masumi. And then it's like and she was forgotten by her best friends. It's like, oh, that kind of works against the point you were trying to make. Yeah, it's weird. Like that. She does have a big heart to heart with mommy Mm -hmm. uh, about that, who kind of figures out what's going on. And they both get really emotional. They have a big cry hug session. And it's like, oh, well, these two who didn't really like each other have grown to be really good friends. And that's nice to see. But then there is very little closure between Masumi and the others, the other of that group of four people who were hanging out together. So, yeah. Um, Um, There's there's one other moment I really want to call attention to. And this is. To me, this is probably one of the most important chapters in the whole series. Uh, it's where uh, Toma has a discussion with his brother, Seiya, his older brother, Seiya, who mm-hmm. takes care of him. And they have like a, a conversation at like the dinner table. Uh, this was an uncomfortably relatable chapter for me for reasons I can't exactly get into. But this was an extremely intense chapter, but it, 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 it posits probably the defining thing that makes the ending again not to jump ahead but the ending makes sense to me where he basically is just like look i have more world experience than you i that doesn't mean i'm smarter than you that doesn't mean i deserve more respect it doesn't mean i have the answers but what it does mean is my perception has grown and yours will too so please listen to me on this and it does kind of create this idea of establishing that you're your perception of the world changes as you get older. You you learn more things. It expands. It changes. It's a great conversation between two brothers, especially as you kind of learned they did not have a very easy relationship. For the longest time, I was like, yo, is the best. And then you get to the chapter where he beats him up and you're like, oh, never mind. He was violent and awful, I guess, for a while. Uh, so it kind of makes sense why they weren't super happy to see Saya say all the time. I was like, what do you mean? He's like this cool, <laughs> like, he's like this big, friendly Mayhew's dog who walks in the seats, right? <laughs> I love this guy. And you're like, oh, never mind. I guess there was a dark period, too. Um, Actually, I think you put it like that. Uh, Blue Flag would have been better if Seiya was just a dog. Like, <laughs> really no explanation. He's the same character, but he's also a big fluffy dog. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I know you. I'm not smarter than you, but I have more road experience than you. <laughs> uh, but it's just, it's a really great chapter. And it, it really, again, touches to where Blue Flag is, is at its best. When Kaito is able to create a conversation between these two characters and, and to dissolve this intimacy. And it doesn't specifically cut to any core you know this isn't a conversation where at the very end of it 
you know, Toma's just like, these are all my feelings or anything like that. But it, it, it does end in this idea of like, no matter what happens, no matter what, I am your older brother, we are family, and I will support you no matter what you do. I'm worried about you, but I'm here to support you. And I think that's very good. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Kaito has this great ability to create interesting conversations when two characters interacting. That said, there's another chapter in this series that another chapter. is yeah, there's actually four chapters in this whole series. I believe we oh. have yeah, this is the last one. Um there's a chapter I hated. And it also is a big conversation between characters. Is uh, it the one where everyone's in the bedroom yes. discussing? That it's, chapter is Teenagers don't talk like that. Yes. <laughs> that that is the part that is weird and uncomfortable because suddenly all these moments where we've had intimate characters having a conversations with each like one-on-one becomes like five characters ra- around in a room and all of them stop talking like people and they start talking like characters, like straw men empathetically created from the opposite side of the argument to have a conversation with. And it, it just sounds unnatural and uncomfortable. And it it's, it's very stark to the rest of the series. We're just like, this doesn't yeah. feel like it fits. Most of the characters that were in that scene who were talking were far more effective when you didn't know everything that went on inside their heads. Uh, for example, uh, pardon me. For example, uh, mommy's best friend, her male friend, Shingo. Who, yeah, he who is just this, generally speaking, a pretty laid back guy who is considerably more mature than the other people in terms of the way he looks at the world. He's the one person, who, the one guy who has been able to stay really good friends with mommy as she's been going through puberty and and uh, adolescence in general without. Uh, you know, it becoming an issue because they don't have feelings for each other, but they're best friends. But it has occasionally been an issue where because like he has broken up with girlfriends who are like, I don't like you hang out with that girl. And it's like, well, he values his friendship with her more than he values the high school romance with them. And it's like, that's nice. But then he's there and he's just like occasionally saying something snide about the way that someone else feels. And then he's like, actually, all of you are really bad right now. <laughs> it's like, you're just being critical of his worldview the way you were saying that he shouldn't be critical of anyone's worldview. like, yeah, but they're talking about his homophobia, so I don't know, man. <laughs> so, like, as I said, the, the, the chapter is very complicated, and I I get where Kato was trying to come from. It was trying to create this idea of an empathy, of trying to understand one another, because Kensuke's homophobia is it just as direct as he's like, ugh, gays are gross? I mean, that actually is legitimately part of it, but there is more to it, and even though by the end of it his feelings haven't completely changed, she has recognized his own faults, and there is yeah, there is hope that he will change slowly over time. And look, these are these are kids, they have plenty of time to to grow and change, hopefully. That's one of the um, points of the series in the end, yeah. Shingo, as you mentioned, is this character that has said Almost nothing to this point in the series. His most notable moment is in Mommy's backstory, where she basically is just like, are you going to try to fall in love with me, too? Are you going to make this difficult? And he's like, why the fuck would I do that? God, no. And you're like, wow, this is a character who's wise, cool beyond, guy. Yeah, wise beyond his years. And then his only part is to like interject with like the chair turned around. He's like, what if we were all wrong? What if everyone here is wrong? And I get what he's trying to do. 
I nihilism get... is the true answer. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't trust anyone. Every, everyone's bad when you think about it. Now, I, I get what they were trying to do. It, it was trying to have someone on the outside who's, who, whose goal is to say, hey, it, it's it's not necessarily his ideas that should be what you're condemning. It should be the actions and the way he carries himself, what he actually did that was wrong as opposed to these things. Because eventually they do reveal he has some reasons for why he sort of feels this way. And he does have, as mentioned, an absurdly complicated, un- teenager-like way of trying to digest his views of women and male-female relationships that is kind of strange but yeah shingo's way of like describing his problems is not it's just it's very oddly kind of portrayed where you're like after the end of the conversation like oh this character's not as wise as i thought he was (laughs) maybe he's just high all the time and that's why (laughs) and i do like that at the end of it they like one of the characters is like one of the girls leaves and you're like Oh, that was supposed to be his girlfriend. He just, <laughs> they were just like, actually, you're being a real bitch to him right now. He's like, actually, you're the one in the room. And you're like, what? Um, so there is that to appreciate. But that that is, if if my my feelings of of blue flag were like a roller coaster, that's where it was like, oh, but now here we go down because it's, it's just it's not the best handled chapter. It 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 has to tackle a lot, and I admire. K2 for attempting to to tackle them and to express it, but that's where it felt like viewpoints were being expressed through characters and not characters had actual feelings. Mm -hmm. Like an argument was there and characters... I did appreciate how Taichi was in that scene, and he basically said absolutely nothing. nothing. (laughs) He's just like, what? It's it's important that he's there because he needs to like start addressing the fact that Ty- uh, Toma has confessed to him and start processing those feelings. But he he if you just read it based off what he says, the only takeaway he has to that conversation is like, "Are you dating that chick? Why? Wow, that's kind of me." They <laughs> start arguing with her. That's weird. It's like he's uh, it's like he's in a coma and his ghost can hear all the things people are saying about him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way. So I guess we should talk about the uh, ending of the series in terms of, I mean, like the final plot line of the series. So there's, I think, a school event that's going on. It's like the school festival, I want to say, because we see the sports festival uh, like just before Futaba and Taichi end up getting together. And then we see the the school festival um, towards the end of the series. And so, uh, so by this point, mommy has gotten way cooler. She's hanging out with them and she's not part of like that group of four friends, but she does hang out with them occasionally and everyone's friendly with her now. Um, there is still a little bit of awkwardness, but they all like her now, but she still does have feelings for Toma. And this is kind of an issue for her because, and it's at this point not really her fault. She has made her feelings for Toma obvious and she is backing off a bit because she definitely gets the impression that he doesn't like her back. But he has not actually rejected her um, because he's going through his own stuff right now. So eventually um, she, you know, they go and talk in a room privately and she's like, so what's going on? You know, I like, look, I really like you, but I, but it's because of the way you treated me as a person, you were really nice to me and I would really love to just 
be your friend, but I can't change the way that I feel about you. How, you know, will you give me an answer? And Toma has been going through all this stuff. And I guess that he just feels like he needs someone to talk to about this. Um, so he tells her that he is in love with Taichi and people overhear that conversation and a fight breaks out and like things get really bad. Um, so Tomo leaves school and then later on and, you know, when they're outside the school, he confesses to Tai Chi that he that he loves him. And Tai Chi, meanwhile, is still attending school and is left to deal with all of that and left to deal with everyone gossiping about what happened and stuff and how everyone's treating him differently and is treating, you know, the people who were involved in the fight, including mommy, although she didn't actually throw any punches or anything differently and stuff. And Taichi's trying to sort out what the fuck he feels about all of this, because his best friend in the entire world turns out is romantically interested in him, which is a possibility that had never occurred to him before. So he's kind of overwhelmed by it. So eventually, of course, he realizes that he doesn't want to stop being fucking Toma's best friend because they're very close. And so he goes to try and find him. And there's this whole thing where he and Futaba go on like this quest to try and find Toma, who has gone out of town to like get a job because he's basically just going to drop out of school and start working and stuff. And over the last few chapters of the series, they're tracking him down. There's a funny twist because Futaba wants to confront uh, Toma too. But when they see each other, she decides to run away. And Taiji's like, Toma, we have to go after her. <laughs> Yeah. And so instead they're chasing her down. He's like, what? Just go. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and they have this big confrontation. Um, and uh, they make amends with each other. And Taichi's like, look, you know, I know that you feel this way about me. And now I know that you felt this way about me for a long time. But in the end, you know, I really do care about you. You're my best friend. And I don't want us to stop being best friends and stuff. They have this big scene where they're all like, looking out over the water together and they're they basically kind of have that scene in final fantasy 10 where they laugh awkwardly except instead of laughing they're shouting i love you out of the water i didn't really get what that was about exactly uh, <laughs> i don't know things you do when you're a kid basically i guess you just shout things out into the water i guess the point of it was not being afraid to show their feelings anymore. Yeah. I think that that was basically the main point. And so they did it and it was kind of embarrassing, but they were able to express their feelings. And so everyone is friends again. Uh, Futaba and Taichi are happily together. Masumi is making progress. Uh, Mommy has managed to make friends. Hooray. And then it's, uh, it's like, oh, and that was the high school, you know, our last high school year together. And we all met and we got to be friends and eventually we, you know, the year ended and we went to college. And then it's like two years later, Futaba and I broke up. What? I thought they were meant to be together forever. So then we have a very brief explanation of from Taichi's perspective of here, here's, you know, what happened. Um, and he doesn't really say like, oh, we got in a fight or this is why we stopped loving each other. He just says like, we just kind of broke up because they were 20 years old when they broke up and you know those kind of relationships don't always last and that's basically it uh and so you know that both of them were kind of broken up about it and unfortunately they really just kind of stopped seeing each other in general they didn't really keep up very much as friends even 
And then, uh, like five years after that, Taichi gets an invitation to go to Fudapa's wedding. And that is what the final chapter is. It is a first-person perspective chapter from, as it turns out, Toma's perspective of going to the wedding. And we don't see anything that he says. We just, you know, see through his eyes as he talks with various characters. Uh, so we see, you know, that there's this guy that Fudapa's met and married. They're happy together. Masumi has met a guy and married him. And they're happy together. And Toma kind of has a, a small conversation with the guy, you know, and they talk a little bit about Masumi and stuff. And basically you find out how incredibly head over heels this guy is for Masumi and how great he thinks she is. Um, and after it's all over, Toma heads home. It turns out Taichi wasn't able to attend the wedding because he had to attend like someone else's wedding, apparently. And so Toma meets Taichi at the station when he gets home and it turns out they're married. And it's like, huh? Okay. So there are a few different things in this sequence that definitely deserve like, okay, discussion, you know, uh, the main thing that occurs to me is like, okay, so Taichi and Toma, you know, end up getting in a relationship and falling in love. There was no indication that Taichi returned Toma's feelings in the ch in the chapter. Whatever, though, you can you know realize things when you're older that you don't realize when you're a kid or when you're a teenager. And it's cute that they did end up together and are and are happy. Now, in the sense of okay, so the romance story was not actually about the romance that ended up lasting. I have multiple feelings about that that are in kind of in conflict with each other. One of them is the fact that, yeah, I mean, that's realistic. Um, you know, just because you fall in love with someone in high school doesn't mean you're going to stay in love with them. And it doesn't mean that uh, if you don't meet, fall in love with someone in high school that you're, you know, never going to fall in love with a person again. Uh, that said, that's not the story that I read leading up to this so if you're going into this series looking for like a feel-good romance story it doesn't really tell that story but it says that that romance did happen you did it you just don't, don't get to see it happen which can be frustrating that said <laughs> i appreciate that the series kind of stayed true to the message of it which is that high school is confusing and weird but it does not decide everything in your life. You just kind of have to get through it. And then once you're out of it, you're going to have more life experiences and more perspective. So there's that too. Uh, and so not everything that happens in your life is going to be determined by that. And that's, I think an important message of the series. So, so a lot of like, and, and maybe controversial is the wrong word to use about this. Cause I feel like when you say controversial, people are like, Oh, did they kill a woman in this or something like that? Like, no, it's, it's nothing like that. Uh, when I say controversial, it's just it's a lot of people are like, I don't really like it. And I, and I get it. Um, because the last chapter does not actually state why things happen. You are not going to get explanations for why, uh, Masumi is with a man. You were not going to get explanations for how Toma and Taichi eventually got together. Did Taichi eventually realize he has bi feelings? Uh, you know, we just have to assume that, yeah, we got to that point at some point. 
Um, there's not a lot of detail on like a lot of the side characters, and that's probably the only criticism re- I really agree with is that you really do just get everybody in like a panel, which was kind of sad when you're like, I would have liked to see Bami a little bit more and things like that. But as for the chapter, Tai Chi's or Tai Chi's three nerd friends or whatever, yeah, one that became a popular YouTube streamer apparently. Apparently, yeah, I was like, hey, good job, Mushroom Head. Um, but. That said, I do get what the chapter is trying to go for, where it's it, it, it says, hey, for 50 chapters now, we've been kind of following this snapshot of time in these characters' lives. And everything we've told you about how you don't need to be defined by what other people want from you. You should be true to yourself and not care and, and, and expect that you cannot control how other people feel. And all those messages, you know, that you will grow as your your perception of the world and your experiences within it change all that plays a part into the fact that the ending really doesn't have those explanations i I feel like it doesn't need to give them it doesn't need to explain why these things happen because seven years have passed since we last saw these characters and people change in seven years you know you're you're very rarely the same person you are seven you know almost a decade from where you were before particularly when you're going from high school to being like in your mid-20s so I, I really like it. I, I, I appreciate that the chapter doesn't explain things. But as I said, that could be very frustrating to some people. Some people want those answers. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm fine with Kaito making that choice to say, not explain it. There's not going to be another chapter that would defeat the purpose of what I'm kind of trying to do here with this. You know, there's not going to be seven chapters explaining how Taichi and Toma get together because that's not what this is about. Um but some people will find that frustrating, and I get that too. But you know, it's uh, it's 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 an ending that'll generate discussion, and I think that's mm-hmm. generally good. Uh, it's it's something where you could definitely talk about why characters are doing different things, or different motivations, or things you can read into or choose not to read into. I mean, it's 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 nice in that way. Um, it's not a complete ending. It does feel like some stuff has been left out, but. By by and large, I do like the approach it takes, and I, I I like the artistic feeling of it all being from Toma's perspective, as you know, uh, similar to the very significant chapter that explains how Toma fell in love with Tai Chi from the beginning was also all from his perspective as well. It's a nice like call back to that as a closure to the story that eventually you realize is all about their relationship. Yeah. Uh. So. I would say that I more appreciate this series and particularly the ending than liked it. Um, I'm definitely not upset that I read this series, but I do think that it's definitely going to be one of those things where it's like, you have to keep in mind when you're going into it, that it is not an escapist romantic fantasy kind of story. Uh, If you're looking into this for escapism, no, it's going to drag you back to reality and be like, these are the things in real life people deal with. Um, So you have to keep that in mind. Uh, That said, I think that those kinds of things that don't I don't necessarily enjoy, I think, make this series more unique and make it more memorable. And I I I can definitely appreciate that. Uh, So I do think that even though I didn't love this series i do think it was very good and i can appreciate how it was executed uh but as we have said also it's not a perfect series there are some really weird chapters where a lot more like navel gazing kind of happens than anything else 
Um, but those moments I think are more, are few and far between. And there is a lot to like about the series. Um, and really just to kind of sit back and enjoy early on before it gets really heavy into that stuff. So there's quite a bit to like about this series. Um, but you should be prepared for it to go into some places that you might not like basically. And if you want something that's a lot more simple and happy, you could read Kaito's previous series, Cross Managed, that we all yeah. enjoyed very much. And that's a lot more it, lighthearted and fun, but still has a lot of the same likability yeah. and fun to it. Yeah, there are some some nice uh, characters in it uh, and, you know, cool character development and stuff like that. But instead of delving into why being a teenager is awful, instead you just see girls in jeans sticking their asses out of bushes. And, um, yeah. Nope. Nailed it. Cool. All Wrap right. Wrap that up. Let's talk about My Hero. <laughs> my Hero Academia. To kick off the recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap, we do have a lot of manga to discuss. So let's just get into it. Uh, it is chapter number 270, Inheritance. Uh, so it seems as though the good guys have won. President Mike punched out Dr. Ujiko and is now carting him away, saying that he's going to, you know, just take him out, take him out of here. Uh, he demands that uh, Ujiko call off the high-end Nomu, which obey his commands. And he shouts over to Exless, a.k.a. Discount Store Cyclops, you get Shigaraki! And he's like, got it! I'm sure things will be fine. But Exless notices that there is another machine that wasn't destroyed by President Mike's shout. Uh, he's like, what's that over there? The tubes must have shielded it. I'd better destroy it just to be safe. I'm sure that he destroyed it. There was no problem. Yep. As he's being carried away, Ujiko says to President Mike that 70 years ago, the world mocked me and my theory, my paranormal singularity theory. They said it was irrational nonsense based on weak evidence and everyone ignored me. In those days, the world was struggling to end the turmoil and reclaim peace. And nobody wanted to hear about another terrible collapse in the fall off far off future. And President Mike's like, well, today it's considered, you know, a weird theory for cults so yeah but he also mentions the scholar who presented it went missing soon after and they said he died a few years after he'd have to be over 120 years old at this point and he recalls how ujiko looked in that one brief moment where he looked like he was kind of decaying or his clone was decaying um and ujiko says that he was ostracized and all for one reached out to him and with with his overwhelming presence, he was like God incarnate walking among men. And he says, my quirk doubles my lifespan while sacrificing physical mobility. It's called life force. And I presented my quirk as an offering to him. The quirk inside me now is just a duplicate of my original. So this, of course, is an explanation for how the fuck all for one can be as long lived as he is. There you go. Um, Ujiko also recognizes present Mike as Kuragiri's friend. And he says, back then I wanted to get my hands on erasure instead. And as he goes on talking, he's getting this weird demented grin in his face and present Mike is getting more and more disgusted being around the guy. But before that can go on, we suddenly cut away to Shigaraki who is, um, He's just floating in space with hands, Nick. Yeah. Um, 
He look, uh, the the ancient one just uh, slammed him in the chest, and astral projected his body, and now he has to go through the whole cosmos things before he can learn everything and become Doctor Strange. That's, that's basically what happens. Also, there are hands there. Yes. Yep. So. As Shigaraki walks through this bizarre void of mostly dis- mostly destroyed buildings, uh, he looks around and he spots his older sister, who refers to him as Tenko, and says, I shouldn't have done that. I was the one who said it had to be a secret. I'm sorry. And Shigaraki kind of brushes it off. And he says, that doesn't matter. His mother appears and says, do you still want to be your hero? You've rugged your eyes all ragged and it'll itch if you keep scratching. Shigaraki turns into a young Tenko and says, I'm okay now, mom. Shigaraki's father appears and is like, That had to have been hard to translate. So I have applause to the translation team for that one. Shigaraki's father turns into a giant and throws his hand out towards Shigaraki. Shigaraki extends his hand forward and his entire his father's entire body blows up and disintegrates. Kumamura really has the worst Bankai. Everyone he beats really it. does. Everyone beats it. Coming soon to tier list. <laughs> All for one appears and calls to him. And Shigaraki's like, you look like Kurigiri right now. And he does. I mean, he's got the suit on and everything, but his, there's a weird shadowy thing over his whole face. And so he calls out to Shigaraki and says, come to me. We cut back to Ujiko, who says, all for one foresaw his own downfall and entrusted all he had to successor. He even chose to pass on his quirk. So just like I once did for him, he took a duplicate of his quirk for himself and gave the original to Tomura Shigaraki. And we see Shigaraki walking across this kind of broken platform towards All for One. All of his family members, besides his dad, of course, reach out from behind him and grab around his limbs and his neck. Uh, Then his father appears out of All for One's chest and throws his hand up into Shigaraki's face. And then... Nanashimura appears from behind him and puts her hand on the back of his head and she says, don't ever forget. But Shigaraki waves his hand after thinking about, I believe, Deku. I think that's Deku. Might be him, honestly. Uh, Shigaraki waves his hand and all of their bodies disintegrate and he walks into All for One's body while saying, don't reject who I am. And in the real world, while Exilus is like, I will be fine. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Rocky's body lurches up off the ground in this huge spasm. And off where all of the hero trainees are, you know, escorting civilians to safety, Deku suddenly senses he's coming. It's a very so, impressive chapter. Uh, it's a really cool chapter. I love the sequence with Shigaraki. Yeah, the visuals in it are extremely powerful, seeing the family all choking him out, and then the dad grab his hands, and suddenly it's this visual of all the hands on Shigaraki, just like his original design was. It's a very nice touch. Um, As mentioned, it's kind of very Doctor Strange, very visually intense, but it all tells the story of Shigaraki, and it's very, very cool. I really appreciate that 
it leaves it to you to kind of get what's going on. But the symbolism is so obvious that it's easy to do so. In a couple, in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about a series that doesn't understand the concept of treating your readers as if they're intelligent and will remember things and will explain things repeatedly as they happen. Uh, and so I much prefer this where you just kind of like just take it in and react to what's going on. And I'm just kind of mystified by some of the stuff that this chapter does. And like you said, I really love the detail how all of the hands on his body mimic his design because that's what they all, the hands on his body always represented. Um, and now you see what's going on and that he is now stepping forward to take the remains of all for one, the way that one for all was taken on by Deku. And, uh, yeah. So cool. Yep. So let's move on to actage from there. Uh, it is Scene 111, The Real Thing. So Kay has gotten done talking with the inventor of the water that she's supposed to be selling. So she rushes over to everyone. She's like, all right, yes, this will help me learn to love share water. And so she's like, all right, before we do the shoot, may I go run for about an hour? And they're just like, no. (laughs) So Arisa says to her, hey, do you do you really need to do this? And Kay's like, yes. And the producer and the director's like, no, we can't do this. Not, not even if Arisa Hoshi asks for it. So Arisa just like, just go for a run without wasting time or using your legs. You could do that. And she's like, oh, OK. <laughs> so she concentrates and closes her eyes and just imagines herself running and in real life, she's sweating and panting heavily because she is an actor. I heard some people say that this took him out of it, but to me, this is the this is the first time Act H has really felt like a shonen manga. Yes. That, like where you're like, yeah, of course she has the ability to imagine she's tired from a long run, and then boom, she's suddenly sweating and out of breath. Like that should be what she does all the time, as opposed to hurling herself off cliffs. Always go to 11, and I will never question it. (laughs) So Akira explains she went for a run in her mind, which is... You could just do that. Hey, kid kid throws a football in one-tenth of a second, she could do this. So everyone is mesmerized by the fact that uh, Kay was able to do this, and she takes a drink from from the uh, share water, and the director calls cut and they're like, that's yeah, perfect. We got what she what we needed. She looks she looks great. And uh, so Setsuna, is that her name? I forget. Little kid actor is like, what did you do? And Kay is like, you haven't discovered how to really enjoy share water. <laughs> Which is really weird. But she's like, but she explains that it's basically Gatorade. Uh, or vitamin water or whatever, you know, it's, it's to rehydrate a parched body. So, uh, you know, you would much more appreciate it after you had been on a big workout. So there's there's less of an emphasis on the taste and more on making sure that it, you know, rehydrates you and has minerals and vitamins and stuff in it. So, you know, now that I know that, yeah, I really appreciate it. And I'm going to be sure to get my little siblings some for whenever they go on their school sports day. Um, so Arius, uh, comes up and kind of provides a bit more of a grounded explanation 
just say she's, you know, honest to a fault. She's inefficient and she's kind of crazy, right? Nonetheless, a good performance always stays in people's hearts. And she says, you don't need to be like her, Satsuki. Just remember, this is one kind of actor. This is one way to fight. So I, I tweeted about this earlier, but I just wanted to express again that this moment is very amusing to me. Because they're like, what a great performance she gave for this commercial. And in my mind, I'm like, not a single person in the history of all of fucking mankind that I know of has ever watched a commercial to be like, what an amazing acting performance. And that's what makes it memorable. Like, I want to see, like, the people here thinks it's great. And then we go home and we see the other people and they're like, yeah, they're sharing around like it's the Miss Monopoly commercial. Like, check out this fucking water ad. (laughs) It's like all dramatic and shit. Like, she's coming down from a cool run and then it's like, smart water. It's like, let me tell you something, Chris. When I saw that Natalie Portman perfume commercial <laughs> that was set to Chandelier by Sia, I was just like, what a performance. <laughs> the greatest performance in a commercial from all time is J.K. Simmons as the yellow M&M. Not a specific scene, just in general. The best performance of all time. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> no, it's excellent. And look, I'm not going to say Kay's bad, but she's no J.K. Simmons. All right. When she can come to me after completely disappearing into the role of an M&M person, then you can come talk to me. (laughs) When I'm like, hey, yeah, you know that mean uh, teacher from Whiplash? That man was the yellow M&M. He was your childhood. (laughs) You're like, what? (laughs) So uh, Arisa explains to Akira, like, you know, Satsuki is still, you know, a kid. So I wanted, you know, to show this to her. Maybe making someone's cheeks hurt isn't the only way to fight. Arisa has changed now. She is a good guy because she's open-minded. And she is willing to actually, you know, try and help the people around her. Hooray! That's also why she brought Akira, so that she would show him this. Then Arisa's like, I've got more jobs for you, so, you know, but let's go. And Sasuke's like, I'm gonna whip you into shape because you got so much to learn. I'm gonna teach you, all right? And Kate's like, you're so cute, bats her head. Uh... So they go to another commercial shoot two weeks later, and it's a chocolate thing. And Kay knows all this stuff about chocolate. And so and and she knows like stuff like what the prices are and the cacao content is different and stuff like that. And the other actors, actresses that are there with her are like, what the fuck? She's really strange. Uh, But then Kay says, although my younger siblings prefer marble chocolates, so this product is too bitter for them. And they're like, all right, don't say that on camera. <laughs> and then Kay, like, sets up these little stuffed animals, like, I'm going to pretend these are the audiences, you know, so I can make it a show for kids. Is that okay? Uh, uh, okay. And then she puts on the commercial performance, and they're like, yeah, that was good. I mean, all right. So it's one of those things where it's like, well, she gets results, so we will accept her weird eccentricities. That's yeah, that's fine. And Arisa's still, you know, watching over all of this and, you know, thinking like I, you know, she knew what motivated Kay about how, you know, the, the joy of acting has touched someone. There's no going back. I knew that yet I turned away from you and I knew this world would bring you to tears and I didn't want to witness that, but I will no longer turn away from you. So isn't that nice? Um, 
Amachi, the producer, shows up and is like, I heard about your project. I have a friend at Matoy Pharmaceutical. He said she was the real thing. And so Arisa's like, we will begin. Please exercise the utmost care, Amachi. Pretty soon, every person in the country will know Kei Yonagi. And it cuts outside to a street, and there's all these billboards and video screens and stuff showing Kay endorsing products that we've seen her shooting the commercials for. Oh. I really... It's, it's something... Again, I don't know if Japan advertisements are are different but it's this idea of like someone being like have you heard of the hot young new stud from the gatorade commercial and the hershey's commercial like i was like wait what i don't know enough about it to really comment on it but honestly this doesn't really seem all that outlandish to me so yeah Matthew McConaughey didn't truly take off until his Lincoln car commercials, you know? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't talking about him before that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what got him on my radar. Let's move on from there, why don't we? Fucking bug. I will kill oh, this thing. Oh, were we supposed to sink? Damn, I was a little late. All right, well, we'll get into post. I will kill that bug. Sp- <laughs> I swear to God, I hate this. I hate bugs. Nick, are you reenacting the fly episode of Breaking Bad for me? That is one of my favorites. I've never seen that one. So it's a good episode. Is it is Walter just like obsessed with killing a bug? Yeah, it's like a bottle episode where there's a fly inside of the lab and he's like, it'll contaminate the lab. I have to kill it. So he spends the whole episode chasing it, trying to kill it. And it works through some inner conflicts at the time until you realize you're like, ah, this is what this isn't really about the bug. Yeah. Yeah. Spy Family, Mission 26. So, uh, Anderson tells all of the students at Anya's school, midterm exams are scheduled for the week after next. And he says that like, there's a chance to earn Stella stars. However, students who fail will receive a, ton- a tonitrous bolt without exception. So keep that in mind. Uh, he uh, hands back the history quizzes they took yesterday. Uh, Anya seems confident. Of course she does. And he just holds up her picture, her grade and says, not elegant. And she's gotten a 13, which is bad. Um, I don't know what the fuck kind of school this is where you just make an example of people's grades like this for everyone. But whatever. Um, he doesn't do it with anyone else. He tell, but he tells her to stay behind for remedial lessons. Damien shows off his score to Anya. He got a 91 and he calls back to Anya's heh uh, by doing it back to her. Um which, of course, his hangers on are like, good impression, boss. So there's that. But little does D- Damien know as Anya is sitting in for remedial lessons with one other girl. like, ah, now I know who's mine to read nor to ace history. <laughs> and, it's, and Henderson's like, not sure why you're laughing, but maybe I'll give you some extra homework now. <laughs> Which I love Anya's reaction when she's riding the bus back home uh, later. Like, now I'm going to be late because the teacher was mean to me. <laughs> that really is such a little kid way of, of looking at it. It's just like, she doesn't know. <laughs> this guy's being mean to her for no reason. But as she is riding home because it's so late, she looks out and sees the moon and she realizes it's full. So when she gets home, as soon as she does, she calls out to Lloyd and asks, you know, what's the moon going to be like in two weeks? 
And he says, oh, well, you know, it's it's a full moon now. So in half a month, there's going to be a new moon. And I was like, oh, no, because as she explains, even me, a superpowered telepath who has saved the whole world has a weakness. The people at the lab called it eclipsing on the one day a month. The moon goes bye bye. So does my ability to read minds. So her, the phases of the moon are linked to her psychic abilities. Makes sense. Which means, of course, she won't be able to read minds on the day of the test. She won't be able to cheat. She won't be able to cheat on any of her midterms. That's bad. So she goes to Bond and is like, show me the show me the future. Let me look at the test questions so I can cheat that way. And instead, Bond just thinks about the food that they're going to have for dinner. And she's like, yay, we're having hamburger steak. And she eats and she's happy and she sleeps. And then she wakes up like, oh, no, I'm going to study. <laughs> Ani is the best. <laughs> uh, can we just skip 10 pages forward, Chris? Can we, yeah, we could just end it. Uh, hey, just... guess what? There's another weird, creepy brother con fucking character, and he's getting worse. And that's yep. the chapter. He's very obsessed with your. He's very obsessed with your. There is one thing about this whole thing is because she because Yuri is called in to try and tutor Anya. And he agrees because he loves his big sister, Yor, and he's a he's a big siscon. Uh, so he does try and teach her. He gets frustrated with Anya. Eventually, things get to a point where Anya's getting frustrated and he says, do you not like studying? And she says, well, I hate it. Do you like it? And uh, he says, well, when I was young, I hated myself for how useless I was. And I wanted to be able to help my sister. And I studied really hard. And I felt like I got a little bit better each time I got a question right. And I loved doing that. And I, I worked hard at language so, because I thought if I could speak well, I could get a good job and, you know, make the world a better place for my sister. If I worked hard at and all these other things because I wanted to do things that would, you know, help her out. And ultimately, I decided to be a diplomat, although he's not. Uh, but I still rely on all the powers I developed back then. And Ani is confused by his use of the word power, so he explains, A great man from long ago said it best, knowledge is power. That's what you need to understand if you want to be someone great. Knowledge is everything. It's the whole enchilada. And Ani goes, knowledge is a, a swole chihuahua. <laughs> and she imagines a really muscular chihuahua. I make sure to bring up this point because it comes back later in this in the chapter, so I have to. Yuri gets frustrated and goes home eventually. Uh, Anya, however, is left to think about uh, what Yuri has said to her. And so she rededicates herself to trying to study. Although it turns out as Lloyd gets back later that she's been studying foreign language. And he's like, that's not one of the midterm subjects. That's probably the best part of the chapter. Mission is like, doomed. <laughs> he's like, it's even not a test. Uh, so the time comes for the test two weeks later. And... Becky asks how Anya feels about this, and she says, me and my swell chihuahua are about to blow you away, which confuses Becky. But yeah, it's time for the first year midterm exams, and uh, so this could make or break uh, Anya. If she fails, things are going to be bad. If she does really well, she can earn Stella Stars, and she can't rely on her psychic powers. I'm really looking forward to the next chapter. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on very, very quickly to Eden Zero, Chapter 93, The Execution Site. We get Pino's analysis of which, whose last name is apparently Regret. There you go. Uh, her special which thing regret. is... Which Regret. Yeah. 
Uh, it's a very cool name. Her big thing is apparently she uh, does not have a good dog impersonation. Wonder how we'd know that. I don't want to find out. Yep. Knowing, knowing hero. Don't want to find out. Yep. Uh, so this chapter is all about, uh, basically explaining Amira, who is the mysterious spy that we met back during the digitalist arc. Um, I'm actually going to zoom through this chapter because actually very little consequence happens. Basically, it's just Amira explaining, Everything that we needed to kind of know in the background, like, where's the Bilia? Uh, I took over for her. She's been hiding out inside of the dancing bar. She's a mirror because she's a mirror. Mm -hmm. Uh, She basically explains, hey, I didn't kill you guys because you didn't know my identity. I'm here after Draco Joe. I've accepted basically being a prisoner because Draco Joe, as we know, does not kill people except when he does. But she doesn't (laughs) mention that part specifically. And then Draco Joe shows up. He turns the ground into tar. And he's like, I'm here to kill you now, basically. Um, Everyone starts sinking. Uh, He goes to grab Rebecca. And then Shiki destroys the floor. And we're going to have a big fight between Shiki and Draco Joe. Because Draco Joe's like, where Mm -hmm. are we? And he's like, the execution site. This is where I killed you in the last world, too. Shiki has his big cool line. Well, in this world, I'm going to make sure no one makes Rebecca cry. So this... You, you say that uh, Amira explains what happened. She explains exhaustively what happened. This is a very clumsily done chapter. I do, in concept, like the ending where Shiki is going on his own to confront this guy that we know has killed him brutally in the previous uh, timeline. And so there's some tension there that you would really feel if this were a better done series. Uh, but all of the stuff prior to Drake and Joe showing up is just really, really badly done. Uh, that we we get Amira's explanation of how she replaced Lobelia, and then we cut over to the real Lobelia that Homura has found, and she repeats what Amira has just told us. Like this would have been more effective if, like, at the end of the previous chapter, we we saw Homura coming across Lobelia, and we're like, oh my god, and then cut back over and had the reveal of Amira revealing herself instead of being Lobelia. Uh, that would have been, you know, a big double whammy there around the same point. Um, and instead, things kind of like are executed backwards is really weird. But everything is kind of like gone over like two or three times during this explanation. And it's really frustrating because it seems as though it's just kind of buying time uh, to pad out the chapter as opposed to actually accomplishing anything during it. There is literally even a point where Shiki and Rebecca are not willing to trust Amira until she says, well, you know, I had to trick you before. So let's start over and be friends. And Shiki's like, friends. All right. I trust you. And there is a panel immediately afterward where Amira is thinking to herself, because I would turn into Homura before, her memories told me that he has a weakness for the word friend. I know! I have read the other 90 chapters of this series! I know about that! You don't need to tell me! So, really frustrating and really clumsily done. Did not appreciate that. Uh-huh. Now let's talk about series we will appreciate, starting with our jumpstart bone collection, Nick. So chapter two, I want to become human. We get the reason that Gasha Dokuro girl, uh, I don't remember her name, um, why she is here. She wants to be human because I don't know. Uh, But she basically gets an explanation. There is uh, we get the kind of an explanation of what happened at the end of the previous chapter where Kazami's friend uh, was like, who are you? 
And uh, then she proclaimed that she was Kazami's fiance, which shocked the both of them and apparently caused um, Reno to be paralyzed in shock after she said, you touched my boobs, take responsibility. And literally she was paralyzed there to the point it becomes a plot point later in the chapter where she was still paralyzed when like a fucking demon showed up. Weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's explaining what that she wants to become human. Kazami is like, oh, hmm. well, let me look. He literally looks up the Wikipedia article about Gasha Dokoros because he is the world's worst yokai hunter, I guess. Um, and uh, excuse me, Nick. It's the Wikipedia article. The one part of this entire chapter that I do like is that she grabs the phone from him and throws it out the window because she's like, no, that's not what I look like at all. Uh and she explains that because of her species, yokai from all over the place have been challenging her. And so she had to fight them and beat them. And so she ended up getting a reputation. She wants to escape from that. She wants to become a human, but she has not been successful so far. And she theorizes that because all of her power is stored in her bones, which Kazami uses in order to use his abilities, that if he keeps on doing that with the forbidden magic thing, that she will use he will she will use up all of her yokai power and then that will allow her to transform into a human. So Kazami's like, well, I can't do that because that's forbidden and we could get hurt. You could be killed even. And she says, tell you what, if I become human, I would not mind marrying you. So Kazami thinks about it and he literally goes marrying. You mean those boobs will be all mine and literally a scale appears next to him with risk of death on one side and boobs on the other and boobs are outweighing the risk of death. There we go. So a few months ago, uh, undead unluck, uh, debuted and the first chapter I was pretty optimistic about, I was like, yeah, there's definitely problems to it, but I kind of like the way things go. And then the second chapter I was like, you know, I'm really sick of how, you know, weirdly perverted this series is. And I don't like how it colors everything that the characters do and stuff. And, uh, yeah, same thing happened to this one. I was willing to kind of give it the benefit of the doubt because Kazami showed bits of humanity in the first chapter. But now it's just like, oh, apparently the fact that he's obsessed with sex just coats everything that has to do with him. And he's kind of an asshole. And his family is full of assholes, too. And I don't really like anyone in this series and kind of hate them all. So fuck it. So let's go through the rest of this very quickly. We meet Kazami's family, including his older brother, Akina, who's just an asshole. Uh, And he's like, you are an embarrassment to the family. I wear glasses. Uh, He gets a yokai alert on his phone bug, uh, which apparently, oh, no, the the yokai has captured Reno because she was paralyzed over the reveal that of of that Kazami was apparently sexually molesting this girl. So uh akina is like you don't have the right to wear a coat if you want to protect that woman stay home and so he heads off on his own kazami turns to the girl and is like can you help me she you know reno's my friend i've got to help her so they go off so they ride off on like a magic carpet yokai thing and akina is fighting this weird yokai thing and uh so uh Pina is like, use my power and you can save him. And Kazami's like, I don't want to save my brother. I want to save Reno and also touch your naked thigh. <gasps> so he turns one of her bones into a, into like a sniper rifle and shoots up the, the yokai and defeats it. And it turns out that all of the different bones are going to take a different form when he uses the ability. That's a cool gimmick. I would appreciate that in a series that wasn't so awful. Uh, and then 
Akina confronts Kazami because he spied them on the roof uh, before. He's like, oh, she's a yokai and you're using her for that forbidden spell. How dare you? This is forbidden. You will be punished for destroying the balance of the world. And Pinai reaches forward and strips off his coat and he's wearing a girl's school swimsuit underneath because he's a massive pervert, apparently. And so he's like, oh, don't give me away. I bow in reverence to you. And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> really, as we were reading it, I was like, this chapter wasn't great, but I guess it's not that bad. And then I forgot that the whole brother, like, wearing a swimsuit fetish is the end of it. I was like, oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> chapter that was, was definitely <laughs> the last straw for me. When that happened, I was like, why? You're this like, was- so is this just supposed to be a pure comedy? Because that's the only way you can kind of do this. And it's it's because you you've already now had two characters walk in on them doing it. One, you did the whole like. Uh, no, they actually saw a different part of it. So they have a completely different reaction to it. And then you have a character just outright be like, oh, wait, I know what you guys are up to. But they've neutralized him by discovering that he has a weird kink. So uh, I guess he's an ally now or something. So, yeah. Hey, next, only, next all, week's chapter three. Yeah, I was going to say only one more week, Nick. All right. Uh, Mashal, chapter 14, Mash Van Dead and the Magic of Iron. Last time, uh, Barrett took all of the hits from Metal Magic Guy. Uh, we now catch up with Mash's friends. All three of them are still hanging out in the woods. And they're kind of like, do you think Mash is OK? Well, yeah, sure, I'll be fine. But uh, Lance explains, well, look, there's different types of magic users. White mages excel at scholarship and support magic. Red mages excel at combat. The professor that, you know, Mash beat the shit out of and buried before he was a white mage. But any red mage past their first year is going to be tough. And double line mages become more common as you move up. And if you think there aren't strong ones stronger than Mash, you're wrong. Of course, we cut back to where uh, Mash is now confronting the double line metal magic guy who has beaten up Barrett and stuff. And he, you know, trash talks uh, Mash for a bit. And he ta- trash talks Barrett saying like, oh, you know, look at this little guy who he's so weak, but he was strutting around like he was super awesome. And you know, when I lay guy, eyes on people like that, I just want to shred them to pieces and wail it sinks in that you were just tricked and left helpless. And you're going to be like, oh, boo hoo, poor me. It'll be ugly and pathetic. And it's so funny to me. And uh, so he looks down on Barrett one more time. He's going to beat him up some more, but Mash comes in, flying in to punch him. So he summons some metal spikes to drive Mash away and they actually scratch him. Oh no. So he laughs at Mash and he's like, you can't beat me. I've earned two, I earned two gold coins in my first year. I'm among the top ranked second years. There is a world of difference between us and you think you're going to swoop in and kill me. Just try you low life. And he summons a spires of metal to attack Mash. And, uh, then he summons another spire and Mash catches it in his bare hands and he says, I've seen what you can do. And he flexes his hand and declares triceps magic ballista knuckle. And the guy's like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> so he tries to summon more metal. Mash punches through it and shatters it. And he, as the guy is saying, you and me are on and mash punches him in the face (laughs) oh man that's so satisfying (laughs) so he's left with you know a fucking bleeding nose and mouth 
uh, and is just going. The girl is shocked by this. And he's like, I, I, he's like repeating his uh, brags from earlier. I earned two coins last year as a first year. I'm at the top of my class. That's how tough I am. More metal. And Mash punches to it again. (laughs) Huge two-page spread where he punches the guy in the stomach and the impact goes through his back, drives him to the ground, coughing up blood. And the guy's like, what is up with this guy? Why is he stronger than me? I've got to get up, but I can't. I can't take another hit like that. And he looks up and Mash is walking away. And he goes and sits on a big root and with his arms, uh, his hands folded. And he's like, why did he sit down? And Mash says, that makes two. It's ten hits right. Show me the difference between us. You've got eight left to go. This was so fucking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) There's almost no jokes in the chapter. Basically just the triceps magic one. But fuck, this was a badass chapter, man. I don't know how you can't think that. That final shot of MASH very seriously just waiting for him to get back up so he can punch him again (laughs) is so awesome. (laughs) And the art in the two shots, it's so significant that you're able to nail that and just be able to immediately capture how devastating those shots are. Like the first one's directly to the face and the second one is a punch to the chest and you can just see the impact shooting out from the back. You're like, fuck, man, that looks fucking vicious. I... There was one chapter all this week because there were some great chapters this week um, before we get into the rest of them. You know, My Hero Academia was really good. But out of all the series that we cover, the one that made me go, oh, fuck, was this one. So I was shocked and amazed and really impressed by this. So I love it. All right. Mission Yozakura family. Mission 34. Spy license. Yes, that's right. Tayo is taking his spy license exam now, apparently. <laughs> you usually do that four volumes into the series, right? It's usually when you get your exam thing. <laughs> so I was very surprised by this. Um, Tayo is basically begins on like this massive conveyor belt that he's got to stay on or else he'll fall in like boiling hot water. He manages to make it through. He's really tired. Mutsumi is there cheering him on. She's got rice balls for him to, you know, get his energy back up. And he has a flashback to like, oh, he was kind of forced to take this spy license exam by Kyoichiro. And Kyoichiro's like, all of us already have this license. And as a member of the family, you need to get it. But if you bring shame to your fam- to our family, but I will kill. And I was like, yeah, you'll make me disappear. You'll kill me or you'll make me disappear. Right. And for a second, I was like, that's really good. I appreciate that Tyre's just sick of this guy now and is not impressed by him at all. And then he realizes what he said, and he starts running away from Kyoichiro. And it's like, no, okay. Looks not dead yet, I guess. Um, Some random asshole who is also taking the spy exam tries to take out Tyre while he's on his break. But a very pretty boy intercepts him and stops and is like, it's against the rules for applicants to attack each other. So don't lay a hand on my darling. And this is Hoshifuru, who is another person who is obsessed with Tayo, because that is a type of character that we had never seen in this series before. Someone who is obsessed with Tayo and or Mutsumi. None of them exist except for him. So. Mm -hmm. So 
Hoshifuru says that like he's a massive fan of Tayo and he's like actually gone around and has like made a doll using like fragments of hair from like missions that Tayo's been on. He's very creepy and he's also one of the uh, people taking the test. Um, we see various little shots of them. Uh, so basically the four trainees that we kind of keep up are with our uh, the guy who tried to to attack Tayo. This older gentleman with a very bushy must but handlebar mustache uh hoshifuru this new guy with a monocle and uh tayo and they have to do all these ridiculous things like read what a bullet says on it as it's shooting by and stuff like that um and uh eventually uh, it comes time to for the uh final exam which appears to be a presentation ceremony because they're like we're going to issue this license to you. And all the licenses are at the end of this long corridor. Please come and get them. Then you are free to leave. And they're like, wait a minute. And the ground starts collapsing under them because it turns out the test is in a different location every year. And so the exam location is destroyed at the end of the exam. So they're basically demolishing the building. They've got to outrun the demolishment in order to get their license. It's a cool gimmick. Mm. Um, so uh, Tayo is trying to race forward. The guy who tried to attack him before, uh, is like, I've, you know, you, you got, you just got lucky rookie to make it this far, but I've been trying to do this for years and I'm going to show you how hard it is to survive this industry. So he does this backhand blow, uh, to attack Tayo and knock him backward as he's, uh, running. And so he's stunned long enough that the ground collapse catches up to him and he's like, oh, damn it, I messed up. But Hoshifuru is like, that look on your face is so arousing, but you not giving up is even more beautiful. And he, uh, uses his fan to blow Tayo forward while remaining behind as the ground collapses beneath him. And as the ground collapses, Tayo stays behind long enough to so that he's grabbing onto the ledge and is grabbing Hoshifuru's wrist. And he's like, hey, if you like that, I don't give up. Then shut up and see this through to me with me to the end. So. In that moment, Hushfru is like, casts his fan out to blow them both up over the ledge. And he says, applicant Taiyo Asano, you pass. And it turns out he's not an exam participant. He's one of the proctors. And basically, there were proctors assigned to every single one of the people applying for it, looking over them to make sure they had the qualities essential to being a spy. And although skills and intellect are essential, humanity is the most important quality for the spy association. Okay. <laughs> and the handlebar mustache guy was the guy looking after the guy who was attacking Tayo and he fails him. So there you go. Yep. So Tayo's like, oh, I get it. You were just pretending to like me so you could get close to me as the project. No, no, I was telling you my actual private feelings. Yep. Hilarious chapter. There were little parts of it here and there that I did like, but honestly. Uh, especially the very end just reminded me of the Naruto chapter where they're taking the written exam and then uh, Ibuki scarred train uh, uh, scarred test giver dude uh, is like this was actually a test of your personality because you know people who you know can't keep up are worthless but those who give up on their friends are worse than worthless so mm-hmm. anyway <sighs> us to mori king chapter three an errand 
Uh, Shota goes out to run an errand. Morikin goes with him on a leash for some reason, like he's a pet. And Shoka goes with them because it's like, no, we can't. No, you're, we can't have you be weird in public. Working proceeds to be weird in public by doing things like walking up a telephone pole to retrieve a kid's balloon because they didn't tie it around their wrist because their parents didn't really care about them. Um, he flies an old woman across the street and Shoko's just like, no, no, stop this. Stop doing that and marking's like it's my duty to help people though that's what the forest king does and when a king with such an aim to you know be one where life coexists in happiness then he cannot ignore his subjects being in trouble and she shoka's like no don't help people which depresses mori king because like no i can't do that they come across a little girl who is a friend of of shota's named hanai and she's like, why are you crying? Because my dog Chappie ran away. I lost the, the leash snapped off of his collar and I've been looking and I can't find him. And what will I do if he dies? And this reaches Shoko so deeply that she turns to Mori King and says, can you use your powers to find him? And Mori King's like, well, is it really all right? I'll have to use my insect abilities. And Shoko says, I can't you know, just stand by and do nothing while my friends are in trouble. So please help them help her. So... He says, I knew you were a good person. And he calls, he's, he glows with an awesome power. And he calls upon insects, various insects of all types. And they descend around him in a massive tornado. And when the tornado dissipates, he's holding the dog. And I'll admit, Chris, the first time I read this chapter, I did actually laugh when the dog was just like, had just been carried there by a bunch of bugs in the middle of this tornado. That was kind of funny to me. Um, Choco rightfully thinks, you're going to traumatize that dog. But no, apparently he's fine. He's a good boy. Yeah, so. dog's happy. Uh, and so Mori King says to the dog, to have come into the care of such kind masters, we're both very lucky, you and I. So is he a king or is he a servant? It's kind of weird. So, Nick, aren't the best kings servants of their people? Oh, that was really good, Chris. I'm going to give you that one. That was awesome. Well done. So Shoko just Nick, goes all soon. aren't farts funniest when they're from no. your butt? <laughs> 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 Should have never. Can that, can that also go in my quote book? <laughs> I mean, you you can put it in there. I'll start with the king one, then go to the fart one. <laughs> Farts are funniest when they come from the butt, and people are like, "I mean, he's not wrong, I guess." <laughs> like as opposed to where? <laughs> Cell phones. That's just confusing on multiple levels. <laughs> You've unlocked a lot of mysteries here. <laughs> Um, so Shoko is kind of Sundere for Mori King after this moment. And then, so because it's a comedy series running in Shonen Jump, we have to end the series on like a last minute joke in the final panel, but, um, don't really get these jokes. Um, they're just like, oh no, Mori King had a heart attack after eating curry. And also there was news of a mysterious horned man. That Shoko. So here's the thing about this series, because now the time is. Oh, come right. This is actually. Our, yeah, I forgot. Holy shit. All right. Yeah. Well. We have to decide if we're going to read this again. Mm. So I'll say this about Mori King. In each of the chapter we've had so far, one of at least one of the many, many, many jokes it throws out does get me to laugh at least, a little bit, at least. In addition. Nothing in the series is like offensive or weird enough for me to go like, no, I do not want to read this. That said, I also don't have any desire to read this further. Uh, so if people really want us to read this, 
I do it. I don't really want to, though. No, I don't. This is boring. This is boring, boring, boring. I don't want to read any more of it. So there you go. All right. <sighs> All right. Let's talk we about. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about We Never Learned Nick, Chapter 157, Thumbelina Supercomputer, Part 7. It's the board game convention, guys. We finally made it. Um, and it feels like it's been forever that we've been building up to this moment. <laughs> yep, exactly. And uh, Seki Joe and Ogata are wearing maid outfits because they got them from, uh, oh, God. Uh, yeah, Sumi. Um, it's just the thing. She's like, here, you should do this. It'll attract people to your booth, basically. Cheesecake. Yep. Uh, they also convinced Seki Joe's mother to wear a less attractive maid outfit. It almost feels like they're like, you're too old to show off those fun bags, Grandma. You get the you get like the full length maid outfit. I hope that's not what they told her. <laughs> it is weird though that you're like, I mean, Seki Joe's mother's very like attractive by conventional metrics. I don't know why they wouldn't also have her wearing a maid outfit, but they do. It's just the non sexy version of it. You're like. All right. Uh, so, hey, they're like, hey, why'd you invite my mom? This doesn't concern her to, to Uega. And he's like, well, you know what? You should just wait a second. Boom. Who should show up at Checky Joe's dad? Who looks like he jumped right off of like a Beatles album cover with that haircut. It's very surprising. And he's like, oh, you, you sent me a message, Sawaku. Oh, yeah. You said you wanted to be here. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be here now. Um, so... He's like, hey, you told me to come here. You sent me a text. You said you wanted to talk. And she's like, so I, just like I didn't send any text. Tee, the ghost girl sent those texts last night. He's like, My biggest objection to this chapter is it basically just kind of regurgitates plot points from We Never Learned that we've seen before. Mm -hmm. So the, the Misao hijacking the phone thing is like, oh, you did it again. But then also they have a board game therapy in this thing. And it's like, oh, well, they did that before. And it was way more effective the first time. Yeah, well, this chapter has to uh, get some things done because we've been talking about how it doesn't really feel like we're like on the right path to wrapping up. And uh, we weren't. So we had to get on path this chapter, which uh, is pretty evident of the, the nature of this. So he's like, what, did you want to talk about me and your mom separating? She's like, no, you know what? You're, you're both you. You should do what's best for you. He's like, all right, well, good seeing you. I guess I'll catch you around sometime. And uh, Ogata and Uega are like, wait, no, why are all the way here? Why don't you guys play a game? So Seki Joe and her parents are, are sat down at a table to play Ogata's game. And Seki Joe's like, I don't get it. How did this end up just being the three of us? What are they doing? Oh, well. All right. I know this. I've been playing this game so much. I know it like the back of my head. So she rolls and then she sees like, huh, I don't remember this square about getting a pen case for your best friend. And... She's thinking like, oh, wait, that's something we did. And then her parents are doing something. And she's like, visit an open college campus with your best friend. Pajama party with your best friend. Partners strengthening with their partner stretching with your best friend, etc., etc., etc. And she's like, the board has been altered. It's a totally new version tailored just for me. And flashback. Guess what? Uego and Ogata did this. Because they're using it to get Sekijo's parents back together, basically. Um, it's a bit of a parent trap thing. Yeah. Uh, they leave it ambiguous as to whether or not they're actually going to get together. But the important thing is that they're actually, you know, telling each other how they feel about all this, which is a step forward. So. Yeah. So, like, Sekijo goes through the whole game and then finally gets to the end. And it's like, oh, you got a chemistry set. Remember how you felt that day? 
And like her parents are talking about like, oh, yeah, that was really brings back memories. Uh, you know, I went all looking around town for it. And when you gave her the gift, yeah, you look of joy in your face. And then they written next to some of the little uh, flowers on the side is a note saying, you could do it, Seki Joe. And basically, she's just like, I hate this. I hate that you two are breaking up. I, I, I hate that I have to leave my roommates. I hate everything and i what i hate is all three of us getting along as a thing it basically just lets all of her emotion out her parents like i i hate it too um they they share a good good cry and uh you'd assume we'd spend a little bit more time digesting, but no because ogata literally basically grabs you and is like hey remember this is my route anyways we weren't really playing a game were you credits <laughs> that's the uh it's just as canon and valid as the Aruka Rodic. It's it's I actually very recently kind of like skipped through a whole bunch of We Never Learn um to kind of like refresh myself on it. And man, it's about Yuiga and Aruka. Like I it from very early on, it is really going down that path. Uh to me, it always kind of looking back on it now, it really feels to me like Ogata is kind of there to have a crush on Yuiga. Um, but Uruka is there to be in love with Yuiga, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Um, that said, of course, all the girls had different feelings developed for him. So sure, it's nice that this is done for the fans and stuff, but it really feels like if this is the level of stuff that we're going to get for the other three, then it's going to really feel like, oh, you really had to kind of come up with these very quickly and they aren't especially fleshed out. And that's why Ogata's route has very little to do with Ogata. Um, but an awful thought also occurs to me because this whole thing with Seikijo getting closure with their family and stuff like that. So this happens in the Ogata route does that mean in the other four routes that Seikijo never like reconnected yeah. with her parents and was just miserable and traumatized? Yeah, that's that's what the implication. Think about? That's the implication is that the events we don't see here, because specifically it was the, the only reason this really seems to have happened is because Aruka never confessed her feelings to Uega and then flew out instead. So the idea is like, yeah, I guess in the other round, Seki Joe just bottles up her emotions and probably suffers as a result of it. You know, fun times. Uh, all right, let's move on to Dr. Stone. Time to get stone. Z, Z equals 149 light lure in darkness. People are happy because they found the core in America. They're one step closer to uh, getting what they need on this continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sang so the, they, they sang the corn theme song. We're the corn in America. Whoa, it's the corn in America. Whoa, less everybody version. get the popping around. Da, da, da. It's the corn. Yeah. I remember seeing that version on the radio before it got changed to kids. And, yeah, and... they thought kids would probably be somewhere <laughs> it's just and, like you know how originally it, it wasn't i want candy it was i want brandy <laughs> very popular in certain circles but uh, not a lot of mass appeal apparently brandy itself can't buy music so well the musician brandy she can she's allowed to do what she wants mm-hmm. she dead i don't remember <laughs> I, forget, oh, no. I forget who's dead 
Nine hours ago, I sent out a tweet saying, I know very little about pop music, so... <laughs> it was me sitting there. I was like, I was going to make a joke about corn. I was like, is corn dead? No, they're just no. bad. <laughs> all of corn? Pretty sure no. <laughs> Are all of them? Well, hey, if I said to you, is Drowning Pool dead? You're like, no, just the lead singer. And I'm like, well, Drowning Pool is dead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what, a, what a bizarrely mean thing to say. <laughs> I I just tell some like I sees them. All right. Anyway, they proceed down the river after they found this bit of corn in one of the crocodile stomachs, and they and Kohaku with her amazing vision actually reaches into the water and snatches up a number of kernels, and is like, "Oh, there's more!" So there must be some more flowing from upriver. So. Uh, you know, they're setting out the search team and they're like, yeah, there's more corn in the river and stuff like that. So this is awesome. At the same time, however, Senku's like, so there's always just a bunch of kernels bobbing along down the river. How convenient. And we cut away to where there is someone in the treetops who has intercepted the radio transmission that Yuzuriha had been sending about finding corn in the river. And they leap down from the tree amongst a bunch of uh, feral wolves there is a slashing motion and the wolves um, are dead <laughs> or they're or one of them is lying in a dark puddle and they got very quiet. Let's let's be real. The doggies are fine. Um, night falls. Uh, there is a vroom noise. And uh, so Senku is up to something. Uh, he uh, is putting this uh, filter over this white cloth over a light because he wants to find out exactly what kinds of bugs are in the area. Uh, in particular, is a type of moth that he knows feeds on corn. They're able to determine that because of the light that they're shining. So he's like, all right, awesome. This is, so that's good. Um, Kaku. No, not that. But So Senku says, like, there's actually quite a lot of them that have gathered here really quickly, which seems like. There might be way too many. It's, it must make you wonder if someone is out there actually growing a cornfield. And Taiju's like, why are you so upset, Senku? Yeah, this is great. We got a cornfield. You know, typical Taiju. Uh-huh. Uh, at that moment, however, Sukasa senses something from the trees. And we see a pair of glowing eyes coming out of the darkness. And Sukasa says he senses bloodlust. And uh, then he smells something. He's like, what is this smoke from a gun that's been fired? And uh, Hyoga thinks about the, the stuff that Senku had said before about convenient. The cor- it was the corn was fo- going down the river. And he thinks to himself, the enemy has done well. Seems like we were the ones who were lured in. And Tsukasa calls out for everyone to take cover. And they make a break for it just as freaking machine gun fire lances down at them from the treetops. And they make it to the boat, take cover, and uh, Ryusui uh, uses uh, the motor of the ship to create a water bulwark to give them a bit of cover. And they get it, get the fuck out of there. So the mysterious figure who was who was firing the machine gun at them. We see a little glimpse of their face. They've got cracks from being depetrified, and they've got a cigarette, so you know that they're cool. Oh, yeah. They, they managed to reinvent cigarettes, too. Good for them. The only thing we know about this person is that they have machine guns and they smoke, so this better just be Frank Castle. Oh, like, that'd be so cool. And finally, the next Netflix Punisher could come back. 
That's right. The Netflix series has been re- the uh, Marvel Netflix has returned in manga form. Yeah, we can skip related that on, series. We can skip it on Iron Fist, but make sure we bring back Luke Cage. That's the one I want. He's like, I am trained in the ancient ways. Like we're from Asia, we know that. Like you're. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the dragon I punched? I can only tell you about it. I can never show you it. That will That's be way far outside our budget. <laughs> And then one time you can see its bones, but you know. Anyway, I, I anyway I'm going to. <laughs> All right, that's that's cool, Mister Iron Fist. So there's this door here. Can you make sure not to punch it with your iron fist? It's okay if you punch it normally. Just don't punch it with your iron fist. Okay, I got it. <laughs> but I just say <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, someone's behind me facing that door. Better power up my iron fist to punch her. Surely she won't die. Several seconds of concentration for me to power this up. So <laughs> I have plenty of time to change my mind if I need to, but I'm very upset. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so people are freaking out because you know someone shot a machine gun at them. So they're trying to figure out what the hell just happened, and Ukyo surmises that it's possible that someone revived on their own, just like Senku did, and that's the person who's growing corn. And but Senku is not deterred. He just says, "In the worst case, we're looking at a showdown against an evil scientist, and it's too bad for them that that's one arena where I won't lose." Whoa! So, very cool. Really looking forward to what's going to come from this. I like that this different kind of obstacle has been presented to uh, to everyone. They've uh, dealt with a primitive kingdom. Now they're dealing with a hick survivalist, presumably. Yeah, well, we'll find out. It's definitely interesting. All right. Uh, Chains. Nope. Promise Neverland. Nope. Chainsaw Man. I've gotten confused ever since Seven Deadly Sins got taken out. Anyway, Chainsaw Man, Chapter 68, Dark Power. Uh, of course, Denji doesn't want to fight the the dolls that are acting human, so he's like, no, and he runs away, and he summons chainsaws from his feet in order to run across the walls, and immediately a bunch of the dolls summon blades from their feet in order to run along the walls, too, and Denji's like, no! Ah! <laughs> like, fuck, I thought, I thought that was so smart. Oh, man. So he is forced to attack some of them. One of them, after he strikes them down, just with a dying breath, goes, murderer. And he's like, oh, ah, and there's more of them. Ah! Uh Chi immediately co- intervenes, is firing arrows, taking out a bunch of them. Uh, and she says, the dolls are imitating humans. Just kill them. And then she's like, well, how do you know that? And she says, well, if you think of it that way, you can kill them, can't you? And he just kind of like looks at her and she says, ignorance is bliss. So I guess that got through to him. Um, however, Santa comes bursting through the wall. She latches a bunch of her doll arms around Chuanchi's limbs and is like, ah, I caught you. And Chuanchi says, sure you did. Holes appear in her. <laughs> so that didn't, she didn't seem to care about that much, but, uh, she realizes things are going to get bad because night's coming and the sun immediately sets. <laughs> I'm not sure if time passed while they were fighting or just like the sun was setting at that very moment. Yeah. Either way, it's night now. And uh, that's very bad for someone who draws power uh, since they're fighting someone who draws power from darkness. Santa emerges from the wall. She's got she's even bigger. She's got even more limbs. She's got big ass horns coming out of her head. Denji says, is it just me or did you get even creepier? 
little column A. Yeah. I mean, what really defines creepy, so to speak? That's a good point, yeah. So I guess it is kind of you, Denji. So. Hmm. Yeah, you're the bigot. Santa want, swipes a bunch of her arms, knocks Denji into a gas station, and he responds by going, ow, crappity crap. Tuan Chi tries to launch a bunch of her arrows, but this time Santa just snatches the arrows out of the air and she says, while you were killing me, I took the liberty of creating a few more dolls. Tuan Chi looks over and her two presumably dead girl girlfriends have been turned into dolls. They have her stitched mouth girlfriend with them holding her hostage. And I believe that's the reason why Tuan Chi just kind of stands there as one of them runs forward and stabs her through the stomach. Maybe she's just shocked. I don't know. Um, Santa reaches towards Tronchi and says, now I wonder, can she be made into a doll? But before she can test that theory, Denji gets a big old can of gasoline, douses himself in it, strikes his saws against each other so that they generate a spark and sets himself on fire and jumps towards Santa while shouting, this is the power of life! <laughs> I love fucking Denji. He's such an idiot. That's so charming. This was a really fun chapter. Uh, and the ending was so silly. Uh, and I loved it. So absolutely. Uh, just the fact that he's like, I'll set myself on fire. And that's the power of light. So. All right. Now let's talk about the best chapter this week, Nick. <sighs> the promised Neverland, <laughs> chapter 176. We're home! Oh, look at that happy, colorful page with Mujika and Emma surrounded by birds who have been freed from cages. Yay, freedom! Also, Mujika's blue, apparently. Didn't know that. Good to know. Last time, Emma rushed outside. She saw Phil. They were reunited. And he's like, yes, now get me a beer, woman. And she's like, I'm home, Phil! And he's crying. He's and like, I didn't her. ask if you were home. I, I, I demanded you to get me a beer. You've been outside for three years now. I, I presume you're going to be bringing me... <laughs> this better be the best damn roast beef I've ever had in my life. <laughs> so... They rush forward and hug each other. Uh, Emma's, you know, throwing her bag and her weapons behind her and is hugging her. And she's like, I'm sorry to make you wait so long. Not at all. Now, where's now? Where's that movie deal? You, you promised me you've been retired from acting for 10 years. More than that. Even. There could be a seventh Highlander, though. <laughs> I could come back for that one. It was very heavily implied at the, at the end of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen that I was going to rise from the dead. Nobody wants that sequel, though. Like no one. What are you talking about? I, everyone loved the rapport I had with Tom Sawyer, who is definitely a British hero of, no, of no, novels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's hugging each other. And uh, Phil sees Norman's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And and Norman says, thanks for protecting our siblings. And he couldn't protect all of them, though, so he feels bad. He wanted to, but Ray just looks down and is like, yeah, it must have been hard for you for not having baby members, but you did a good job, all things considered. And everyone's hugging, hooray, yay. Uh, and then they look over at the mom. Uh <laughs> I tried to remember something. I was like, wasn't there one last movie Sean Connery did? And I was like, he was no, like, it was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, no. <laughs> he had one more after that. Was it? Uh... It's Sean, Sir Sean Connery in 
as Sir Billy from Sir Billy, Guardian of the Highlands, where I guess he's like a gardener who drives around in a jeep with a bunch of talking animals in an anime movie. Well, that's news to me. <laughs> so the new mom of Gracefield House sees that Isabella has arrived and she says, we're all free now. The farm's being abolished and it's over. She thinks, you know, we can never erase what we have done, but now we can just love them, just love them normally. And the mom embraces Isabella and she's crying and hooray. We cut over to where people are like, the queen's orders are to stop it. No more farms. The the people, the staff of the farms are being arrested so that they can't hurt anyone and uh they're told like you know hey are we will really willing to go against grand duke louvis and against the royal family no and they're restrained emma looks around and is like the farms are rending not just gracefield but all the other farms and she thinks about how you know that day she didn't want to leave everyone behind and she knew she had an idealistic goal but i also knew that i couldn't give up no matter how crazy it seemed i was scared full of anxiety i felt discouraged so many times but thanks to my friends we were able to come this far and we get a big collage of all these various moments in the series and look at all this stuff that we did most of it actually wasn't all that great now upon reflection and yeah uh, and we see and all the characters that died too we see hugo yeah, and other one yeah and uh those uh nameless children connie. That were also remember connie yeah she yeah, was the Connie's one who died there. at the start yeah they kicked everything off yeah like the, and also the the, the, the random the guards that didn't have names yeah the random kids that died when andrew attacked they're there too yeah, yeah. so it's all right it's like they're they were with them in spirit and phil says so can we go now to the human world and I was like, yeah, we can. All the children, both the children and adults, everyone, finally at last, we can go to the human world. Do bitches know what time dinner's supposed to be served over there? Because that would be a welcome change from this side. <laughs> <laughs> and a random nameless demon shows up and looms over everyone. And I was like, oh, fuck, run away. And I was like, oh, no, I put my gun down. And the random nameless <laughs> demon is like, this is my farm, my meat. I will let anyone take them away from me. I'll eat them all here and now. And everyone's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And Ray's getting his gun out. He's like, I've got to make it in time. Uh, and Emma pr is protecting one of her little siblings. The claws are coming towards her. <gasps> Everyone reacts in shock, and Emma is protecting a little girl as she's covering her on the ground. And she looks up, and she sees bloody claws as Isabella intercepted the claw attack and took it through her torso to protect her children. <gasps> so I know Emma put down her gun, but it doesn't look like Ray did. So oh, he's just like, oh, damn it, the safety's on. <laughs> he's like, I forgot how to use a gun. I can't let anybody know, though. He's like, oh, I also dropped my gun. I better pick it up. No, Nick, this is a great chapter. Um, oh. Isabella had to die. No. Because that's the only way she could truly be vindicated. Uh, that's the hallmark tale of any great writer, is when the only way for a character to be redeemed is for them to die. Um, so that's super fun and enjoyable. I don't even actually... I don't have a problem specifically with Isabella dying. I have a problem with the fact that she was around from the beginning... And I should really care about this. 
And because she has done fucking nothing for like a hundred chapters, I don't. She literally just showed up and was like, I'm throwing in with them now. And we didn't get to see her beyond the fact that she didn't attack the people who had already won the battle. That was basically it. Um, She has done nothing. And there has been no real sense of them making amends with each other. So now she is dead. And this is not like her big moment of redemption because we were supposed to have thought that that had already happened before. Yeah. And now we're supposed to care about this. And I really feel like I should care a lot more than I do. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's no buildup to this. This isn't a heroic sacrifice. This is just like, it felt like a checklist. Like, oh, mom has to die before the end. Check. Got it done. Nailed it. Like, if, for example, if Ratri had done that whole thing where he pulled the knife and he went after Emma and then all of a sudden Isabella shows up and protects her and gives her life to protect her. uh, And it's a huge shock then that she does that. uh, And then we have the whole thing where it's like Emma still is willing to forgive Ratri then that could have, I think, been a lot more effective. Instead, a guy whose name we literally don't know has done this. And there's no reason to care about him and no reason to care about Isabella. And it really, really bums me out that this is where this series is at, where even something that should mean something doesn't. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's uh let's talk about Black Clover page 249 Leopold versus Silvor. Nick, they This got... was the best chapter of the week, Chris. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> they got Master Foga, the Fire Spirit Guardian. No. Even he couldn't win. <laughs> what Tabata was writing was even he kind of chuckling like even I don't care about this dude. Oh, no, not Sasakibe. <laughs> <laughs> At least I knew who Sasakibe was. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, not Master Floga. <laughs> uh, Master Floga's down. So he's, he's they've been defeated by this guy. And even that youth from the Clover Kingdom doesn't stand a chance. So I guess Leopold's here. He was also one of the people who was training. So he's going up against Silvor. And there's a big floating eye, and then he gets attacked. He's like, ah, where is it coming from? And we see it's from Silvor, who's using his eye magic. As we recall, Nick, the Clover Kingdom exclusively is the one that have rights to weird magic. Not like the common magic you find over in the Spade Kingdom, like eye magic, where floating eyeballs (laughs) follow you around. Um, you know, it's like it's like the four basic elements uh, from nature. You know, you uh-huh. got fire, you got yep. wind, you got earth, uh-huh. and you've got dilithium nitrate. You know, yep. <laughs> those are the four. And then you can kind of you can branch off from there. Like if you combine earth and water, you get other things. You know, yeah, so. yeah. You get uh, you get uh, eye magic when you do that. Yeah, so. that's how you get eye magic. Yeah. Uh, so he's using his eye magic to always find Leopold. And uh, basically, he then, like, powers up all of his magic into his finger and shoots it. I guess that's 
just also a thing you can... I don't know if that's specific to eye magic or if anyone can do this. He does the spirit gun. As though he's basically just using the eyes just to spy on him, and then he's sniping him from a distance. Yeah. So... Uh, and because of his eyes, he'll absolutely never miss. And Leopold's like, no, Lord Floga! And we get a flashback. And I guess it's... <sighs> it's, it's Master Floga's big introduction to us, where he's like, hmm... I'm already dead! <laughs> <laughs> he's like, huh. It's like when you're fighting, you're hesitating about something. And, you know, Leopold basically explains, he's like, well, I'm the third in a line of, like, fire users in my family and i'm by far the lamest and least interesting so he's like ah well you should just use what you're best at like it's meant to be like a big thing he's like hey stop comparing yourself to them do what you're good at uh, and this is i guess the big wise Learn the same lesson that luck learned in the previous chapter it is almost identical um so Leopold's like, ah, I'm going to sharpen my sense. He's like, ah, it's there. He uses his big fire, like, spiral magic. He uses the array, too, specifically. So, you know, that's not going to be a one-off chapter thing. Uh, but the fire thing just shoots out, and uh, Silvora's like, ah, you're an idiot. It's so easy to dodge an attack like that. You know what? I've never been wounded once on the battlefield or felt pain. I've never cut my finger or stepped on, a, like, a nail or anything like that. I've never been hurt in my life. Uh, then he shoots at uh, Leopold again, and Leopold's like, ah, the m enemy's location is moving, but as I suspect, the difference, the distance between us has barely changed. And uh, he you know, basically just, just like, you know, as long as they're in front of me, I'm not going to lose. But finally, he's like, ah, I guess I should end this. And all the eyes are like, wait a minute, can't fucking, what's, what's going on? And there's... A massive array. This is actually kind of a cool moment because he's created an array that's basically like the size of a coast. Like it's it's like a whole mm -hmm. cove. It's covering a huge area. And uh, Leopold's like, I've been making it little by little. And I did it. And Silvor's like, I had to get out of here. And he's like, nope, too late. True flame magic crimson eruption. The whole array, like the whole coast just explodes. The giant flame destroying the ecosystem there. It's devastated. But... He did defeat the bad guy. Uh, and the guy's like, oh, I hate it. I don't like being burned. Pain is He's bad. He's like, ow! Ow! Oh, it burns. Uh, and then Leopold's like, if you don't like hurting people, then get off the battlefield. And then he beats him with more fire. Okay. So, like, last time I talked about how I kind of liked the chapter because, if nothing else, it was nice for Luck to have a chapter and it looked really cool. This one just had it looked really cool, and it was, like, a direct follow-up of the last one. You're like, wow, we really... It's like you just decided to make an exactly inferior version of the last chapter for another character. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, God, we don't have to follow it for all the other fucking three people that are... Or two people that are out there, do we? <sighs> yeah okay yeah one piece chapter 979 a family problem so we get uh over the first few pages a recap of kind of what's going on what the moving pieces are and stuff i will yes, note Chris? the cover page seems to indicate that pound's alive nick so he's gonna get to reunite with his daughter yay yay also, um, it is really hard to die in one piece. I mean, that dude is really literally is. being executed, and I guess he, he yeah. just powered through that. 
He was executed. I got better. <laughs> He's like, I really believed. So uh, we get over the first few pages, just a recap of what's going on, where the moving pieces are and stuff. And I really appreciate it because it did this very succinctly. And it was just like, hey, here's a reminder of what all this stuff is going on. It's very nice. Uh, and we also learned something very important, which is that Kondro is on his way to Orochi, but he hasn't delivered a message to him to update him about what's going on. So literally nobody in Kaido and Orochi's forces know what's coming towards them. And in fact, Kondro, because he is still seen as a samurai, has to actually fight his way through the guards that are blocking his path. So that's no good uh, for him. Momonosuke spots a knife uh, from one of the people that Kondro has defeated, and he goes, hmm. So there's that. Uh, we see Frankie getting the vehicles out of the Thousand Sunny. He's like, ah, the Black Rhino. And uh, Chopper's got a tank, and he's like, I'm Commander Chopper, and I run this tank, which is amazing. Um, and uh, so they're all getting set to go. And then all of a sudden, Frankie goes, where did Luffy go? And... <laughs> Jinbei says he saw Yusuke's kid and his crew run right toward the front door. So he went, they have no idea what Kinemon's plan is. Don't worry, I'll go and bring them back. And all the other strides go, that's just going to make things worse. Oh, but then Rono Azolo said, Luffy's only going to make things worse. I'll go stop him. He's just going to get lost. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. I love this little thing of like, oh, right, Jimbei hasn't been a straw hat, so he doesn't know how they work yet. So he he just kind of like saw this happening. I did nothing to stop it. <laughs> uh, Sanji sees all the girls getting in the tank, so he tries to get inside it, but it's already full with Chopper and Usopp in there. So they're, so they're like, no, no, get, no, no, you can't ride in the tank. Uh, Frankie calls over to uh, Robin. It's like, hey, you want to you want a seat in my awesome uh, black rhino motorcycle? And she's like, oh, how nice. And then Brooke gives it in instead. And Frankie's like, no, the back seat's for chicks. <laughs> I still like how he does drive off, though. So yeah, he's not he that upset. Him. He's like, all right, let's go, guy. <laughs> and Brooke says, there's nothing wrong with some good male bonding. He's like, aw. Uh, you know what? And this is maybe my favorite Frankie he's been in a while because his hair's shooting up. So it kind of yeah. looks a lot like old Frankie. I'm really yeah. like, yeah, fuck yeah. Go Frankie. Uh, so that he calls over to Chopper saying, hey, let's we'll dock up at the rear of the island. And Chopper's like, yeah, let's go. Uh, and, uh, you know, Sanji is trying to be like, come sit up here with me, Robin. Robin's like, no, nah, no, nah, the top of the tank is going to get dusty. So let's just walk in. So she walks off with Jinbei, who's like, I'm glad that I'm part of this crew. It's, like, no, it's a nice little moment. Uh, there is someone rustling in the bushes also. Shadowy figure. Oh, no. We cut over to where Kaido is. He is talking to the... God, where are they called? There's so many groups, and we just had a uh, thing explaining the, what the all of them were. Toby Ropo, or the Toby something, the Toby Rappo Toby, or Ropo. Toby Rappo. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, he's talking to them and uh they're like oh you know i want to drink with you and blah 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 and he's like i'm i was gonna introduce you to lin lin she's still changing we can do that later while we've been carrying on something's come up and that's why you were forced to wait the thing is it wasn't me who summoned you here and he's they're like oh well then who did and it was king and so they're like well why did you summon us he says well some of you wouldn't bother to show up if you knew that it was me who summoned you instead of kaido uh and they're like yeah you got us 
Uh, he says, you were formerly captains of your own pirate crews. I know that you're angling for a spot among the lead performers. But they point out the organizations of meritocracy, so you have to climb the ranks with skill. So, But he's like, no, you stay in your place. Stop trying to do that. <laughs> this is just kind of weird. But yeah, he says, I summoned them because I got tipped off about your problem, referring to Kaido. So I thought they might be needed. Kaido's like, yeah, all right. So... They go over what the day schedule is supposed to be. There's supposed to be a toast speech. And we get all this coming from uh, Bao Huang, who looks like a Chinese vampire, kind of. They've got, you know, the uh, talisman over their face. Uh, and they have the flying squirrel smile of fruit. So there you go. Uh, but they go over the events that are supposed to happen. But the problem is that Kaido's like, I need you to find and bring back my idiot son, Yamato, who disappeared earlier today. So like, all right. Uh, so your major announcement involves him. And Kaido's like, that's correct. So uh, he says, if you do this and you bring back safely, I will give you the right to directly challenge any lead performer of your choosing. And none of the lead performers object to this. So they're like, all right. So. Between this and between the fact that shortly afterward we see Luffy in the crowd in his disguise, which works perfectly because it's a perfect disguise and not because everyone's drunk already. And he's looking for everyone and uh, he can't find out where the fuck uh, kid and the others went and he gets distracted by food. But then a bucket of Oshiruko gets dumped on him by accident and uh, he looks down at it. And uh, there are people who are like, oh, yeah, they made too much in the kitchen. So they just brought some out here. And, was, you know, you, you, but we don't want that. Yeah, it's just worthless. Just just dump it all out. It's pointless here. And Luffy thinks about when Otoko uh, had some Oshiruko and how happy she was. And she said, you know, I'll never have such a nice birthday again. And Luffy gets really angry when he thinks about this and how this thing that she appreciates so much is not being put to waste. So given that that's going on, that Luffy's in disguise in this crowd and there's a thing leading up to lead performers having to defend their positions and Luffy looks like a crew member of the Animal of, of the Animal Kingdom Pirates. Huh. I wonder where this is going to. Yeah, I mean, it looks like we're about to kind of kick off and it's kind of exciting. You know, we, we've been introduced to a lot of characters. Uh, we kind of mentioned this last week when we met the Toby Ropo that it was like, okay, it's going to be like a lot of fights probably so at this mm -hmm. point it's kind of like all right we're probably again we're probably about to start usually one piece tends to like blend it together so it'll be like fights and then you know plot advancement like stuff's going on in the world everyone doesn't just stop to have fights but this seems like this is a spot to kind of start moving there it was a fun chapter i really liked the beginning of it so. yeah i think this is fun it's fun seeing the the characters like all interacting too like the straw it's doing it's great okay world trigger chapter 196 tamakoma oh two, god i forgot four. that was even on there <laughs> tamakoma 2 won their rank wars match now now let's go to the post game recap and that's the chapter. <laughs> yeah, they basically that's it. They're just like, here's everything that happened over the last couple weeks. And then, hey, we're going to have a fight between Nasu squad, whatever the stupid witch bitch girl squad is, and uh, Suya squad, I think's the other one. It's like, okay. Uh, Yeah, Katori squad, Suya squad, Nasu squad are all involved in a match right yeah, now. Katori squad. 
So I guess we'll see a little bit from that because the the outcome of it is not going to affect uh, Tamakumatu's ranking. Yeah, we there are a couple of little bits here and there that I do like. There's the part at the beginning where Hughes congratulates Chica and they all fist bump and stuff. Um, we get, you know, like why uh, Osamu was doing things at certain points. And we also see that Osamu didn't actually have like a full control of the situation. Things played out a little differently than how he was expecting. We also see, you know, why Hughes did certain things at the beginning, how he was able, for example, to figure out the Akoma whirlwind was coming um, and other stuff. Uh, there's an explanation of uh, how uh, Yuma's uh, shuriken scorpion thing worked and how it could be replicated and stuff. And uh, then we get the most important detail, which is that Chica made the decision to shoot on her own. Yep. Uh, Osamu did not give her that command. Uh, and although Hughes was saying, like, you know, do it now, she was doing it already. And he says, like, she did it when I would have given the command. So, so good stuff. Yep, it's nice, but it's not the best World Trigger chapter because it's just like, yeah, we we did all this already. So, oh, yeah, it's fun, but it's it's not necessary. Yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. Yeah, so that is gonna do it for weekly manga recap, guys. Well, yeah, thank you for joining us for the live recording, which we do Wednesdays here on Twitch.tv/slash RoloT, uh, and. Since we did a big thing covering Blue Flag, that means it's time to announce the next recommendation. So, uh, it's my turn to do that this time. So, this is a series that was recommended to us based on the fact that it has to do with ninja. But, and I quote, real ninja. We'll see how well that uh, that uh, plays out. It's a series called Basilisk, which we'll be reading. So. Alright, there we go. Um, let's go to characters and mvp then. favorite stuff yeah uh, so i'm gonna be real brief of mine character is gonna be mash and chapter of the week is mashal those were the best chapters this week that was like just a, a standout chapter and a standout moment he, he mashal was never looked or mash has never looked more badass mm. oh this is kind of tough because mashal was definitely the best in terms of like getting a raw reaction out of me this week I'm not sure if I want to double up, though, because there were other good uh, series this week. You do what's in your heart, Nick. You can't control how other people are going to feel. You can control how you feel. That's right. Uh, I'm going to give uh, Chapter of the Week, actually, to My Hero Academia, because I really like the build-up to uh, Shigaraki awakening uh, in more ways than one. Uh, but character of the week going to go to mash because that moment where he's just like, that's two hits. You've got eight more to go. And he's going to repeat what, uh, the guy made Barrett go through. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and also just that last shot alone. It's is enough to <laughs> say, make it for oh, yeah. So that is going to do it for the oh, recap. Just real quick. I want to note the audience <laughs> had a tie between Mashal and my hero academia for their chapter of the week. And then Denji won character of the week. Denji was pretty silly this week. So, mm-hmm. uh, 
If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can check out at WMR Podcast for the official podcast account. At Rolo T and at Nick F Time are your hosts' accounts, and we will do, you know, provide updates and stuff on when exactly the recording is going to be in and all that good stuff. You can check out past episodes on weeklymogrecap.podbean.com as well as on iTunes and, uh, on, and some on YouTube. Uh, join our Discord server. Because that is a good place to discuss many different things in relation to the podcast. We also have cool hangout stuff like a My Hero Academia RP uh, chat room. And that is also where you can find Ninja X3i's uh, uh, Google Doc that keeps track of many useful things in relation to the podcast, including recommendations that we take and questions that we answer for Q&A episodes and all that good stuff. It's Are awesome. you curious? Go ahead. I was going to say, it's also a really great place for all these recommendations we do. There's a specific thread to talk about the recommendations. So as you're reading them, you can talk with other people who are doing it as well. It's a very, very good idea. And of course, that's uh, that spreadsheet also keeps track of uh, stuff that we've covered in the past. So if you're curious about if we have covered a series previously, we have been doing this show for almost a decade, then uh, you can check that out and see all the stuff that we've covered before. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. You allow us to create all sorts of fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Special thanks to Steve Manor Tarakaris, the aforementioned Ninja X3i for maintaining that spreadsheet, Infamous Planet for making the frame for the visual version of the show, Milo Jack Stillitz, uh, and Wizzy Cheddar for making the opening sequence of Weave Mongery Cap. And that's going to do it, everyone. All right, that's going to do it. Let's head on out of here. No time for jokes, Nick. Let's just go. All right, if you say so, man. Yep. Where are we going? Um, space. So, like, and like, I mean, I'm several states away from you. Should I like, oh, meet you somewhere? Oh, true. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. I'm not sure if it's good to travel right now, given everything. Yeah, so. you know what? Actually, scratch that. Stay where you are. Okay. Let's both individually go watch television. That sounds fun. Okay. Do you like want to like? talk while we're doing it or should we just like ignore no, each other i want us to watch different shows at different <laughs> times uh but then relay those thoughts to one another like we All could right. we could easily just like immediately hang up and then like watch AEW together but instead i want you to go off and watch uh deep space nine or whatever bullshit star trek show you're watching and i'll power through another episode of community or something like that and then uh we'll just never talk about with one another watching aw together actually does sound fun we should try doing that we sometime should, we should that you know what we should do that that's a good idea, that's a good idea jokey chris <laughs> goodbye everybody bye